content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. listeners to WTF You're Talking About, the podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do. I'm Katie. And I'm Decker. And we're here to ask each other, what the fuck are you talking about? So here's how it's going to work. We have six categories of topics, and the next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die. The categories are true crime, paranormal, history and education, science and technology, entertainment, and current events. We'll be using an eight-sided die, so if you roll a one, then you will roll a six-sided die for those same six categories. But if you... Sorry, my brain just like error. What am I doing? Memory exe um, fail. So for the same six categories, except it has to be local. That's what I was trying to say. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so Idaho, any state bordering Idaho, and if you roll an eight, then that's a wild. And you get to talk about whatever you want. Woo. Ducktails. Woo. Yep. And this this week will be interesting because we both rolled true crime. You yes. had local true crime. I had local true crime. I did not have local true crime. Yes. And all true crime all the time. That's not true. We talked about many other things. We do, but true crime it, it, there's always crime. That's the All crime things. all the time. Just like how we'll always eat healthcare, we'll always have crime. <laughs> be gay, do crimes. Be gay, do crimes. <laughs> uh, I merely have committed murder. Um Yep, so since we have lots of crime, what what we've brought some wine. Yes, wine and, yeah, but not to be confused with like wine and crime, which is an excellent podcast that you should most definitely listen to do, at some point. Do you point listen to that one? No, I just know you have. I fucking And love. so I just thought it would be a nice time to plug for you know, something that we listen to or uh, that you listen to that I also Perfect that you have you've mentioned wine and crime because the the glasses that I have brought are the wine and crime fucking patriarchy what? flexible wine glasses. Yeah. Fuck me. Available no, on their their website. That was poorly <laughs> Sad. Okay. Um, In the style of wine and crime, we have brought wine, and it's it's a pop. Yeah, because I guess today is gonna be a doozy. It sure will. Okay. Um, you'll get that. There we go. Oh, what a satisfying sound that is. Nice pop. Oh. You really need to listen to that podcast. It's real good. Yeah, probably. Uh, oh. Oh. Okay. I saw movement. It's the police. Okay. Wine, wine, wine. Mm. <laughs> I was just... I was curious <laughs> as to what the fuck was about to happen here. <laughs> because... Okay. <laughs> Since you guys couldn't see what was happening here, Katie was pouring the wine for our glasses, and she was just going, but and she was starting to move the glass away, but she was pouring with more vigor. Okay. Like so, like there was this... more. And that's why I was like, is she gonna try and like go for like a trick where it's like, why? Like just like, the setup is weird because this table is high and this table is low, so it's like. <laughs> Really Where do I go? I was just like, am I about to get covered in wine? I'm just going to distribute this bottle of wine between mm. the glasses. The computer needs a drink too, yeah? There go. And it probably, probably doesn't need a drink, mm. as it is a computer. Probably not. Cool. Oh, this is lovely. 
<laughs> it's a uh, Saint Chapelle soft white. Ooh. Which I know Saint Chapelle is distributed nationally, but they are local. They're out in Caldwell. Yep. They make yummy wines. Yum yum in my tum tum. <clears throat> All right, Decker. Tell me about your local true crime. What the fuck are you talking about? Okay, if I was like, tell me about it. <laughs> yes. Tell me. Welcome to tell me about it. The more, the more proper way to have a podcast. Mm, yes. Cheerio. I know. I feel like that's like a more pompous, like. Oh, oh, <laughs> I will drink with my pinky up and out. Um, and out, pinky out. Yeah. So I got, I got local true crime as we've already stated, and I well, here, here's the crazy thing about. Um, this recording today is there was a shit ton of stories that came out that had to do with true crime here in Idaho. And like last time I got stuff that regarding Idaho, there was not a lot of stories. Um, they, uh, I guess recently they've been finding, uh, you know, there was that person that drowned from tubing. There mm-hmm. was, uh, I guess I think a homeless man was just recently found in a canal, uh, dead. He just kind of like mm. washed up in a canal. Uh, now they're dangerous, yo. They are very dangerous. If you don't remember from uh, elementary school, all the videos that talked about not swimming in a fucking canal, don't do it. Yeah, they really hammered that in. They really did. I wonder, is that like just a here thing or do they do that everywhere? I don't know. I always thought it was because there was a canal right by my house, by like the school. So like, um, see, they did it at the school that I was at too. And there were not canals. Yeah. (laughs) That's all right. Canals, Katie. Canals. They were not close. They were not close. <laughs> the river um, was closer than the canals. Right. Well, because I used to live by, uh, like, way back when, the before times, I used to live by the Goddard Church. And that thing has a canal that goes all the way throughout mm. it. And so, like, for me, I was, like, since that was, like, by, like, the elementary school I went to and, you know, a lot of the people in, like, those wards went to my school as well. My, in my mind, I was, like, because I remember I seeing people trying to play in those canals and I thought that was because of it. It was, like, oh, they're, like... Kids, don't be stupid. You'll drown. Always. Um, But uh, I'm going to talk about a story that's actually come back up in the news recently. I'm not sure if you ever heard about this, but this is a very sad one. And it has to do with animals, so I'm going to brace you guys ahead of time. Because it's very, very sad. And I think we might have... If not just someone that's sadistic, we might have a potential serial killer in the making. Oh no! Coming up, is this all the poisonings? No, but now you've piqued my curiosity. What poisonings? Oh, a while ago, someone kept um, throwing poisoned food into people's yards with dogs. Whoa! I did not hear about that. Um, and then I think there'd been a bunch of cats that had been found poisoned as well. Mm. I don't remember how. Maybe this. this- was. This could, like, this could be something happening because um, my thing uh, that I'm going to talk about actually has to do with waterfowl. Oh. Um, and there was a story back in October about it, and oh, it's yeah. now changed locations. Oh. And there's been some other stories with, um, uh, basically, my, my, my story is I'm talking about the, the, the ducks and geese in our surrounding area between um, Lucky Peak and oh gosh where was the other area i want to say it was like alberson park i think that was it there uh let me go back to my thing here uh the first one was uh there's lucky peak that's what's happening and oh julie davis park um there have been ducks and geese that have been found with blow darts in them oh yeah yeah and so it ha it's it's happening again 
where it, it happened off of Julia Davis Park quite a while ago, and there were several geese and ducks that had to be taken in by, you know, fishing game, and they needed to have these taken out because they were bent into the bodies of these birds. And luckily, I mean, most of the birds that they recovered, uh, I didn't hear any instance of them actually perishing, which was very good. Right, but a lot of them were saying like these were like right in areas that were right by vital organs, and like somehow these birds the were lucky enough. Walking around with a blowgun. I know that's my thing. It's like, uh, not to come off as uh you know ignorant or possibly like uh, embracing stereotypes, but like the last time I remember blow darts ever being a thing was off of Johnny Quest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I don't remember that ever being a thing here, and the problem is like the. It looks like it's with the intent to maim, not to actually, like, it'd be one thing if you were just killing, like, these things and, like, they were actually perishing. It's another thing to have them live and suffer and die from what most of these, uh... That is cruel and veter- ve- uh, Veterinarians that are, we're, I used to confuse the word veterinarian and veterans. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm very confused with that. Um... But it's Veterinarian's Day. Most of the veterinarians that have been involved with this, they're saying they're not going to die from the darts. They're going to die from the secondary infections mm-hmm. due to the, what the darts are causing, right? Because they're puncturing the skin. They're allowing this yeah. bacteria. Yeah, and, and the, the river to, is not clean. It's not clean. So they're going to be getting ill from this. And I guess uh, there are some not some there are some very not exciting like this is one like where it's right through oh, so imagine like uh this is a just a normal you know duck i don't know the i don't remember the actual name uh i think i think it's a female mallard duck and the blow dart in this picture is just behind the beak so imagine like where your mandible is right where like uh it protrudes on the sides like, if you were to, like, clench down on your jaw, mm-hmm. like, that kind of thing, that's pretty much where it is on that on this bird. It's going through and through in that area. So it's is almost that like still alive? This duck, it actually, they were unable to capture it. Oh, wow. So I don't know what happened with it. This is a photo of the bird that they found. But, um, I mean, you know what? It's also possible, I, I find it highly unlikely, seeing as it's been several months and this duck should have died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, it's possible that this duck has somehow survived this entire thing. It was part of the original thing. But um, I, 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 I find it very doubtful. Because mm-hmm. so, I was trying to keep like an open mind where like maybe it was like, oh, this story came back up. But um, the people uh, that have seen this are furious of course and they don't want like any verbal warnings or anything they want like they they're trying to find this person and like bring the justice and really bring the bring the hurt juice to them yeah as i've heard recently and i watched like this video where i had like this uh snakes but it tried to make snakes sound all cute like uh oh, like a danger noodle like a danger noodle yeah or my favorite is uh, uh, uh hazard spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're on. The angry spaghetti. Yeah. Or like calling sparklers uh, angry incense. I've never heard of or this. Aggressive incense. Yeah, it's pretty aggressive. But like you can see here, and I think I can have this one on mute, right? You'll see that like they're reporting on it. And like oh. there's the there's one of the birds, mm-hmm. right? And this is the one that they were trying to capture and it just keeps getting away. And it's just it's so sad because Right, like, like there's they no way for it. About it. Yeah, because it's right in its face, which is what it would use to remove things from mm-hmm. its body. So there's no way. Like, I'm surprised, that, like, it even eats or is like even able to like survive. And the problem is, is that, uh, like, you'll see here too. Like, there's like one in the back of this 
geese here and there's like another one there's like, oh, geese. someone someone clearly is going out of their way to hurt um and i mean canadian geese are in danger like they're federally protected uh-huh. like you can't fuck with those things because you'll get massive penalties that's why a lot of businesses they have to be very careful with what they use to try and mm-hmm. keep them away from their businesses because the government will really come after you for that. where i work they have these ridiculous things that i think are supposed to look like coyotes they mm. kind of look like someone had an accident with some rubber and made it brown. <laughs> Oops. And then they put it on a stick. And my favorite thing is to watch the geese sit with this thing that's supposed to scare them away because they're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, all I know is that it, it start, happened in October and now it's coming back. And there have been a, several other stories as well. So like you mentioned the poisoning also has me concerned. And these can be all completely unrelated. But I found another sad story, and like this is one I literally just found today that I just wanted to bring up because I just I'm finding there's lots of incidents with uh, animals involving them being uh, being hurt with objects that puncture. Is what like I was finding mm-hmm. like, through a lot of this, and because like recently, and this is like I'm gonna warn you, this one is probably gonna make you very sad. There was a cat shot with an arrow oh. that was maybe like two to five years old, and it like. They were trying to save it, but they couldn't save it. Yeah, and so it was pretty much killed. And then, like, because, it, um, I guess this was, like, a nuisance cat. So instead of, like, calling animal control and, like, helping gain this, like, you know, somewhere. Or at least, you know, if it's going to be put down, be put down in a humane way where it's not going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Right? Someone just decided, I'd shoot it with a bow and arrow. Right? God. And so, like, this is what has me concerned is I'm, you know, seeing... I'm seeing more and more animal abuse become more prevalent, at least in the news. And if it wasn't, maybe it, it just, the story didn't pick up, mm-hmm. but now I'm concerned that there's some sadistic person or persons that are going after animals, which is why, I mean, you always hear the stories of like how it starts, how with, it starts uh-huh. with animal abuse. And so, and we save a lot of rescues. Most of the dogs that uh, I have, at my dad's house, they're almost all rescues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually just talking with um, Jules' friends that when we went up to uh, Twin Falls, and they had they had dogs that were all rescues as well mm-hmm. over there. And so it's very it's very disheartening to hear that there's some sort of sadistic fuck out there that's going out of their way to maim and hurt these animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mac. Matt came from the Humane Society of the Palouse up in Moscow. Someone mm-hmm. had just dumped him off on Moscow Mountain. Jax was surrendered to the Humane Society, or the Idaho Humane Society in Boise. Mm-hmm. And CJ we found on the street. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why our cats are indoor cats, because there are people out there like this. And especially with CJ being an all-black cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, the worst part about this is, like, they don't have any leads on this so far. Now, they're definitely asking for any information. So, for those of you that are here in the area that are listening, um, I believe they have a number. Yeah, they're, they're asking for you to call into uh, the Lucky Peak office, which is a 208-343-0671. I'm sure we can put this on our podcast should this mm-hmm. incident still be occurring. Um and then of well, course, even or- if it's not occurring, if you know who's doing it, they need to yeah, like, fucking answer for that. Yeah, because this is unacceptable, and it's... My, my fear is that, yeah, they're hitting ducks right now in public parks and stuff, 
Yeah, was well, to keep them from someone's a, kid. Yeah, someone's kid or someone else's pets in residential neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, yeah, it, it's also just offense. such a weird, such a weird signature. Though that's the thing that really gets me is like normally like you hear a like a, a blow dart of all things. Usually, it's like a BB gun, right? Like airsoft gun or you know something that. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's gonna cause some pain, but it's not gonna necessarily normally to the death of something unless it's like you blind them with like mm-hmm. a you know an airsoft gun. But a blow dart is very weird to me because I don't know who like who recreationally uses blow darts. Like I don't find that to be a very common thing at all. Which mm-hmm. like that's why like this is. I think that's also why this is getting quite a bit of media attention too, as it's a blow dart it's, of all yeah. things. So. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, What's though. That? So, the ducks aren't even doing anything. They're just no, being ducks. They're just—they just want bread, which is not good for them. You should not feed them bread. And like the geese do the same thing. Like yeah. they just hang out. Like, um, let's see. This is like here's the geese here. The geese had this one actually had an X-ray of it too. Like that's a, a duck, and there's the geese with like its arrow which was like right mm-hmm. around its chest cavity so it was very close to being you know it could i mean it could mm-hmm. have died uh yeah just blows my mind Poor absolutely geese. yeah no and these are like uh i think a good point here is like you know these animals can't speak for themselves mm-hmm. which is why we need to take upon ourselves to be responsible to the animals around us otherwise you know <laughs> we'll be in you know, at some point when aliens come nearby and they see how we treat the animals, I'm like, fuck this race. We'll save you animals. And then they all go away. I mean, if that's what they're going to do, they should look at the way we're treating our planet. <laughs> yeah, that too. They don't want to invade Earth because they're like, eh, they fucked it up too bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, Guys, yeah. Bill Nye is worried. If Bill Nye is worried, everyone on should fire. be worried. So, Katie, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm going to give you that. Thank you. Um, this is interesting in that I can remember when this guy was arrested. Because um, it was in 2005, so I was 14. And I vividly remember the news, news coverage. Okay. I'm being like, whoa, this is fucking weird. So. Just... It's interesting that you already knew about this. Was this like a nationally like sensational kind of like... Mm-hmm. Is this sensational news? Um, we are okay. going to be talking about Dennis Lynn Raider, also known as BTK. Okay. Are you familiar? I am familiar. Okay. So now I understand why you were like, we're going to need wine. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a real... Piece of shit? Awful fuck. I, I already A monster of guy, monsters? But I hate him even more. Because of... Because I have like... I jumped in with both feet into this story for the past week and that's like all that i have listened to and with the exception of a really terrible christmas musical script that i god it was so bad everything i've read has been about him and he's i despise him um okay well I mean, um, for those of uh, since I know you're about to dive into it, why, can you give a very quick top level as to why BTK is such a disgusting piece of trash? Because I know, like, he's, he's I mean, very famous for... Uh, very top level is basically going to be he killed people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, and he didn't feel bad about it. Right. 
He was real proud of it. But um, I believe his MO was because uh, BTK as an acronym it stands for Bind, Torture, Kill, which we'll we'll get into. Okay. Um. So, and Dennis Lynn Raider. Yeah, I recommend everyone else get some sort of something to drink, and if it's something not alcoholic, the then get something that you enjoy. Get something that something you make, that makes you happy. Make you a little bit. Yeah, take you to your happy Maybe place. Maybe you want some cocoa or mm-hmm. some cider. Got get some slippers on, you know, get all snug. <laughs> your house coat. <laughs> Dennis Lynn Rader was born March 9th, 1945. Uh, he was the eldest of four brothers. He grew up in Pittsburgh and Wichita, Kansas. So he was born in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh but they moved to Wichita. Okay. Um, and that's Pittsburgh, Kansas, not the other one. Okay. Philly? Yeah. No. Hmm. Pittsburgh is not in Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, I fun fact about me today. I've gotten everything wrong with locations and dates and, uh, and early. Thing, like, I was like, yeah. And then I thought about it. I was like, no, no. that's super uh, wrong. That's really wrong. Um, the, uh, what was it? We, John was watching a show about all the earthquakes that were happening. And then I was like, oh yeah. Like the Chicago, <laughs> the Chicago fire of uh, uh, 1906 Something like or that. 1905. And he's like, you mean the, California fire of 1905. <laughs> I'm like, that's well, was, the it one. Was, it was an earthquake. Right. But it was. Chicago the... has so many earthquakes. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, sorry. Yes. Can I continue though? While I figure out what, where I live and what the states are. <laughs> Who I am. Uh, he graduated from Wichita Heights High School. I almost said Wichita Heights, California, because fuck you. That's why. <laughs> Look what you've done. You've infected me. He graduated from Wichita Heights High School in 1957. He was confirmed into Zion Lutheran Church. Uh, by all accounts, he had a pretty normal childhood. Uh, he had strict religious parents, but by, you know, as far as I could see, they were, you know, average parents, loving, Not, supported their kids. They, they weren't, weren't abusive. like abusive. No. Okay. Uh, he self-reports, and also others confirm, that as a child, he tortured animals. So, cool, I'm glad people are shooting ducks with blow darts. That's great. Yeah, now I now I just feel bad bringing that yeah. up. Like, he was known to hang uh, dogs and cats. He wait. He was known. Can you can you preface us to like what that means by known? Like before he was like identified as a serial killer, or I yeah I think it was like as when he was a kid. I think it was just like oh he there he goes. Cat. I, I don't know. I'm not. I didn't find a, a, anything specifically that talked about... Because most everything was just like, nope, he was just an unassuming guy, whatever. Man. Um, he was a Boy Scout. He was active in church, youth groups. Um, he was a mediocre student throughout all of his schooling, mm-hmm. like, even into his college. And he went to, like, Wesleyan State College or Wesleyan College or some something like that. Uh, he okay. states that at an early age, he knew that something was off about him because uh, he had developed fantasies about bondage at an early age and was focused on control and torture. Uh, as he aged and became sexual, his fantasies changed to include tying girls up and having his way with them. Mm. He was an outwardly unremarkable young man, quiet, polite, uh, described as utterly lacking a sense of humor, which that is not great. That is a sign of uh, psycho or sociopathy. Mm -hmm. And which I I could do an entire episode about the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. Sociopath, yeah. Which we'll have to do that because it's fascinating. Uh, Yeah, that'd be really good to know. Uh, He kept to himself, 
he would choose his words very carefully when speaking and give whoever he was talking to like his complete attention in like oh i like a weird way you know like Mm -hmm. i'm getting too much attention from this person i'm speaking to uh, he worked at a supermarket during a supermarket during high school and college. Uh, he joined fraternity to try to reinvent himself as an extrovert. And I remember, I think I learned this when I was in college, and oh, so I, I was trying really hard to figure out what fraternity he was in, and I don't think I was ever able to figure it out. Um, but I didn't want to jump into that because of, to, for this, because it's not necessarily that relevant. It's, yeah, it's not important to who he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it is because he was trying to make himself an extrovert, but it didn't work. Right, but like the name of the itself of the yeah, that's more just like interesting for me being part of the Greek community. Mm-hmm. The journals that he kept at the time show that he was starting to look for victims to harm, and this is when he was able to successfully start breaking into homes and taking small objects, including women's underwear, which he would wear. So we start off first, uh, uh, burglarizing. Yeah. A burgling. Which, um, that's similar to how, like, Iran's and Golden State Killer okay. was started, like, just breaking and entering, and, which that's a whole other thing. Right, because, I mean, it's, like, trained to, like, be stealthy mm-hmm. and get in and without being identified. Well, and it's that whole thing of being in someone else's space without their permission, without them knowing. Yeah. Uh, in 1966, he joined the Air Force uh, to avoid being drafted into the Vietnam War. So he spent some time stationed in Alabama, Japan, Korea, Greece, and Turkey until the end of his service in 1970. He reached the rank of sergeant, and he worked on... Oh, I didn't realize he was part of the military. Mm-hmm. That's that explains... pretty common. Well, I mean, like that also explains a lot about like how he was able to get away with it for like so long, and how he was like, so meticulous. And... I mean, sort of. Um, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later. He wasn't... Okay. Like, he was meticulous, but also he was kind of slobby. Okay. Um, I guess that's from what I've heard. I've not dealt in. I always heard that he was, he was like a hard catch. Well, I mean, it took them a long time to catch him, so mm-hmm. yes. But there was... I don't know. But even while he was sloppy, okay. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not uncommon for serial killers to have had military experience uh, because they like authority positions. Um, like something that like BTK had this like he wanted to be like a police of officer. Ed Kemper wanted to be a police officer. Like that's pretty common because they want to yeah interesting uh, and like law enforcement type right. And of course that goes without saying that just because someone's in a uh, position of power does not mean that they mean any harm mm-hmm. by you whatsoever. But that is an interesting correlation. But you should also watch for that. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he worked on the installation of antenna equipment, uh, among other technical jobs. Yes, I remember that. At his... Was it... Oh, by his account, this is when he began to have sex with local sex workers, but his attempts at bondage were rejected. Uh, so, good for them. Okay, so this, he started to have sex with sex work, local sex workers, but his attempts at bondage were rejected. Uh, so he continued to troll for victims, but his... Uh, journals suggested that nothing went any farther than stalking and breaking and entering, taking underwear, other small objects. Uh, he received the Air Force Good Conduct Medal. So, cool. Good for him. Cool. Uh, the Small Arms Expert Markmanship Ribbon. Great. That's, yep. 
and the National Defense Service Medal. Well, I mean, it's really helpful for his resume, you know. I mean, yeah, like, it looks looks real good. Everything, everything he's doing, you know, he's. <laughs> uh, he was discharged in 1970 uh, when he returned to Wichita, and then he spent two more years in the reserves. When he returned, he moved to Park City, which is a suburb of Wichita, and he worked in a supermarket where his mother was a bookkeeper. In 1971, he married his wife. Um, he, he earned an associate's degree in electronics, and later he earned a bachelor's in, get this, administration of justice. <laughs> of course. Yep. From 1972 to 1973, he worked as an assembler for the Coleman Company. Um, so that's like camping gear. Yeah. Uh, from 1973 to 1974, um, he worked for Cessna. So it was a, a pretty short time, but like the Cessna plane, mm-hmm. that one. And then from 1974 until he was fired in 1988, he worked at ADT Security Services. And he held several different positions there. Um, like insult installers, salesmen, various managerial positions. Mm-hmm. In 1989, he was a field worker for the, or I think he was actually a field worker supervisor for the federal census in the Wichita area. And then in 1991, he was hired as the supervisor of the compliance department for Park City. Uh, it was a two-person department covering animal control, housing problems, zoning, general permit enforcement, and a variety of nuisance cases. Uh, in this position, neighbors remember him being overzealous and strict. Uh, citing people for, like, having grass longer than six inches. Uh, uh, one neighbor said that he killed her dog for no reason. Uh, he was a member of Christ Lutheran, Lutheran Church, and that was a congregation of about 200 people. He had been a member for about 30 years, and he became president in 2005 of the Congregation Council. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also a Cub Scout leader. Uh, he was con- he's confirmed to have killed 10 people between 1974 and 1991. So that's that's quite a range there. Mhm. So he had, does, did he have quite a cooling off period then? You know, it's it's weird cuz there wasn't necessarily a pattern to his like cooling off. Okay. As far as I could tell. So he's more of spontaneous. Or but no. like not really or okay. No. Uh, so from now on we're going to go kind of like by a timeline. So 1974, Mm -hmm. January, Uh, Raider's in between jobs and he's restless. He drives his wife to and from work sometimes because she doesn't like to drive in the snow and the ice. Totally fair. I get that. Uh, When he does this, he liked to drive through neighborhoods and school campuses looking for women to watch. I don't get that. That's not cool. Uh, When he would find someone... It's like bird watching, you know? But just (laughs) creepier. I wonder if birds are creeped out. Oh, for sure. Really? You know for sure. They have like, binoculars, Jason. I always Jason. feel like someone's watching me. <laughs> We're in our home. This is our nest. Look, it's a kestrel. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, right. He was being creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he found someone that he liked to watch, he would... Or when he found someone that he liked, he would enter her into his fantasy, imagining what he would do to her, which was never nice. Uh, he had a particular thing for Latina women. So a Hispanic family had recently moved into a house in the area. This was Julie and Joseph Otero and their five children. So it's 15-year-old Charlie, uh, 14-year-old Daniel, 13-year-old Carmen, 11-year-old 
Josephina and nine-year-old Joey. Okay. Um, which I believe he was Joseph Jr. Um, they also had a dog. Raider watched them, noting their daily schedule for quite some time, until January 15th. After, I think it was after about 8 a.m. is when he actually entered the house, but he arrived over there between like 7 and 7.30. Uh, he snuck into the yard and cut the phone line. Uh, so then he entered the home through the back door. He was surprised to see that Joe was still there. He was not expecting the father to be there. Uh, also, the two youngest children and the dog were there. He was only expecting it to be Julie and Josephina. So he kind of lost control of that situation there for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So he enters, finds out these people are here that he didn't count on. Uh, he's got his hit kit, as he called it, which is a briefcase packed with cord, hoods, plastic bags, tape, wire cutters, um, the things that he's going to use for his crimes. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out a gun. He orders someone to do something about the dog. So Joe orders, or asks, has Joey put the dog outside in the yard. Uh, so he tells the family that he is a wanted criminal and he needs food, money, and a car. Uh, at first, Joe is confused and he thinks that he asks if this is a joke that was set up by his brother-in-law, which, who the fuck would set up a joke like this? Yeah. That's, n- no. No longer my brother-in-law. Not Okay. <laughs> Uh, he ordered them to lie down in the living room, then changed his mind. Uh, so he sends them to a bedroom. Uh, using his wanted criminal story, he disalarms them, or calms them down. I, I guess makes uh-huh. them not... I, does let... he, like, tell him, like, what the crime was for to make him, like... Was it, like, a... Like, no, basically or... just, like... It, it sounds more like, I just need to get this stuff on, I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, disalarms them enough to get them tied up. So now... We're going to have, like, the world's worst reader's theater. Uh, or the, the world's... Because right now the whole family's there. Am mm-hmm. I gathering that correctly? No. The three older children are at school. So it's the dad, the mom, the and dog's the outside, youngest. and then the two youngest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. So I have the court transcripts of his testimony. Joy. Uh, so if you would be so kind as to read the court... Uh, I will read the defendant. Okay. Uh, I highlighted the things, so. I'm the court. This is like the world's worst cold, cold reading. Okay. A terrible audition. Okay. On January 15th, 1974, I maliciously, intentionally, and premeditation killed Joseph Ortero, count two. Oh, there we go. Sorry, I was trying to figure yeah. out what you're saying. Yeah. All right, Mr. Raider, I need to find out more information. On that particular day... The 15th of January, 1974. Can you tell me where you went to kill Mr. Joseph Otero? Mm, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's 1834 Edgemore. All right. Can you tell me approximately at what time of day you went there? Somewhere between 7 and 7.30. This particular location, did you know these people? No, that's... No, that was part of my... I guess my what you call fantasy. These people were selected. All right. So you... You were engaged in some kind of fantasy during this period of time? Yes, sir. All right. Now, when you use the term fantasy, is this something you were doing for your personal pleasure? Sexual fantasy, sir. I see. So you went to this residence, and what occurred then? Well, I had did some thinking I was going to do to earlier Mrs. Otero or Josephine, and basically broke into the house. 
or didn't break into the house. But when they came out of the house, I came in and confronted the family, and then we went from there. All right. Had you planned this before? To some degree, yes. After I got in the house, it lost control of it. But it, it was, you know, in the back, in back of my mind, I had some ideas what I was going to do. But I just, I basically panicked the first day, so... Beforehand, did you know who was in there, in the house? I thought Mrs. Otero and the kid, the two kids, the two younger kids, were in the house. I didn't realize Mr. Otero was going to be there. All right. How did you get into the house, Mr. Raider? I came through the back door, cut the phone lines, waited at the back door, had reservations about even going or just walking away, but pretty soon the door opened and I was in. I confronted the family, pulled a pistol, confronted Mr. Otero, and asked him to, you know, that I was there to, basically I wanted, wanted to get the car. I was hungry, food, I was wanted, and asked him to lie down in the living room. And at the time I realized that wouldn't be a really good idea. So I finally, the dog was the real problem. So I, I asked Mr. Otero if he could get the dog out. So he had one of the kids put it out. And then I took them back to the bedroom. At that time I tied him up. While still holding them at gunpoint? Well, in between tying, I guess, you know. They started complaining about being tied up, and I re-loosened re the bonds a couple of times, trying to, take, trying to make Mr. Otero as comfortable as I could. Apparently he had a cracked rib from a car accident, so I had put, him, put a pillow down on his, for his head, had him put a, I think a parka or a coat underneath him. They, you know, they talked to me about, you know, giving the car and whatever money. I guess they didn't have very much money, and the, from there I realized that, you know, I was already, I didn't have a mask on or anything. They already could ID me, and made, made me a decision to go ahead and, and put him down, I guess, or strangle them. All right. What did you do to Joseph Otero, sir? Senior. Or senior. There you go. Put a plastic bag over his head and then some cords and tightened it. All right. Did he in fact suffocate and die as a result of this? Not right away. No, sir. He didn't. After that, I, I did Mrs. Otero. I had never strangled anyone before, so I really didn't know how much pressure you had to put on a person or how long it would take, but... Was she also tied up there in the bedroom? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Er, yeah. Both their hands and their feet were tied up. She was on the bed. Where were the children? Well, Josephine was on the bed and Junior was on the floor. So we're... We're talking, first of all, about Joseph Otero. So you had put the bag over his head and tied it. And he did not die right away. Can you tell me what happened in regards to Joseph Otero? He moved over real quick-like, and I think tore a hole in the bag. And I could tell that he was having some problems there. But at the time, the, the whole family just went. They weren't panicked on me, so I, I, I worked pretty quick. I strangled Mrs. Otero, and then she went out, or passed out. I thought she was dead. She passed out. Then I strangled Josephine. She passed out, or I thought she was dead. And then I went over and put a, and then put a bag on Junior's head, and, and then, if I remember right, Mrs. Otero came back. She came back and... Sir, let me ask you about Joseph Otero Sr. Oh, sorry, I turned that over instead of going to that page. Okay. Uh, yeah, I went back and strangled her again. And, and that, that finally killed her at this at that time. So this in, is in regards to count two. You had, first of all, put the bag over Joseph Otero's head. First of all, first of all, Mr. Otero was strangled or a bag put over his head and strangled. Then I thought he was going down. 
Then I went over and strangled Mrs. Otero. I thought she was down. Then I strangled Josephine. Thought she was down. And then I went over to Junior and put the bag on his head. After that, Mrs. Otero woke back up and, you know, she was pretty upset what's going on. So I came back and at that point in time strangled her for a for the death strangle at that time. With your hands or what? No, with a cord, with a with a rope. And then I I think at that point in time I redid Mr. Otero's, put the bag over his head, went over and then took Junior. Oh. Oh, before that she asked me to to save her son. So I actually had taken the bag off. And then I was really upset at the point at that point in time. So basically when Mr. Otero was down, Mrs. Otero was down, I went ahead and and took Ju- Junior I put another bag over his head and took him to the other bedroom at that time. Put a bag over his head. I put a a cloth over his head, a t-shirt, and a bag so he couldn't tear a hole in it. And he subsequently died from that. And then when I went back, Josephina had woken up, had woke back up. I took her to the basement and eventually hung her. All right. Did you do anything else at that time? Yes, I, I had some sexual fantasies, but that was after she was hung. All right, what did you do then? Went through the house, kind of cleaned it up. It's called the right-hand rule. You go from room to room, picking, picked everything up. I think I took Mr. Otero's watch. There. I guess I took a radio. I had forgot about that, but apparently I took a radio. What happened then? I got the keys to the car. In fact, I had the keys, I think, earlier before that, because I wanted to make sure I had a way of getting out of the house. And I cleaned up the house a little bit, made sure everything's packed up and left through the front door, and then went there, went over to their car, and then drove over to Dylan's, left the car there, then eventually walked back to my car. Before we continue, uh, what, what's Dylan's? Do you know what that one means? It is a supermarket. Supermarket, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Joe Otero fought like hell when he tried to put the the hood over his head, because that was, I think that was when he realized this guy is not actually doing what he said he was here to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Raider moved Joey to the bedroom, he stated that he brought a chair in to sit there and watch him die. Uh, he asked Josie for a camera before he took her down to the basement or while she was in the basement. This is Josephina, right? Yes. Okay. And, but she said that they didn't have one. And after he hanged her, he masturbated on her leg, uh, leaving semen at the scene. And what year was this, 1974? Yes. Okay, so did we have, like, a DNA database? Not yet. Okay. When he left the car in the parking lot of Dylan's supermarket, he threw the keys on the roof of Dylan's, uh, and then he claims that he had to return to the house because he had left his knife in the yard. Okay. Uh, So even with all of his surveillance, Raider had no idea that the Oteros had three older children, and they were the ones that came home and discovered their family. And to confirm, everyone in the house was dead. Yes. And the dog was untouched? As far as I know, the dog was just in the yard. Okay. Um, But the, the oldest child was only 15. And I read a thing where he says that he remembers uh, one of his siblings yelling to him, uh, I think someone's, I think mom and dad are playing a joke on us. Mm. So that's really terrible. That is. And that's only counts one through four. So April. So there's about six more. Right? Yes. April of 1974. 
Raiders stalked 21-year-old Catherine Bright until April 4th, when he entered her home by the back door and hid in a bedroom. Uh, she arrived home around 2 p.m. with her brother Kevin. Uh, he didn't live there. He was just with her because they had been to, I think it said that they had gone to a bank. Okay. So, hooray, more transcripts. Well, the, I don't know how to exactly say that. I had many what I call them projects. They were different people in the town that I followed, watched. Catherine Bright was one of the next targets, I guess, as I would indicate. How did you select her? Just driving by one day, and I saw her go in the house with somebody else, and I thought, that's a possibility. There was many, many places in the area, College Haven Hill, or College Hill even. They're all over Wichita. But anyway, that's... It just was basically a selection process. Worked towards it. If it didn't work, I'd just move on to something else. But in the... In the... My kind of person, stalking and strolling, you go through the trolling stage and then a stalking stage. She was in the stalking stage when this happened. I broke into the home. I should say I have edited these for length because they're fairly long. The whole transcript was 75 pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have haven't changed anything. I just cut out bits because there was there's several bits where they something in the big picture. Yeah, there's several bits where the, I think it's the prosecutor is like, can we have that exact address? And the judge is like, I don't care what the address is. We know that it's in the same county. It doesn't matter right now. Um, So I just kind of took that stuff out. Back into it. I broke into the house and waited for her to come home. Where did you wait? In the house, there was probably, in the house there, probably close to the bedroom. I walked through the house and kind of figured out where I'd be if they came through. She and Kevin Bright came in. I wasn't expecting him to be there. And come to find out, I guess they were related. That time I approached them and told them I was wanted in California, needed some car. Barely the same thing that I, basically the same thing that I told the Oteros. Kind of eased them, make them feel better, and proceeded to, I think I had him tie, I think I had him tie her up first, and then I tied him up, or vice versa. I don't remember right now at that time. You indicated that you had some items to tie these people with. Did you bring these items, both the Oteros and to this location? The Oteros I did. I'm not really sure on the Brights. There were some, I, when I had, in working with the police, there was some controversy on that. Probably more likely I did, but if, if I had brought my stuff and used my stuff, Kevin would probably be dead today. I'm not bragging on that, it's just a matter of fact. It's the bonds I had tied him up with that he broke them, so that it may be some way with... It may be same way with, same with Catherine. It was, they got out of, got out of hand. All right. Now you indicated you believe you had Kevin tie Catherine up. Tell me what happened then. Okay, I moved. Well, after, I really can't remember, Judge, whether I had her tie him up or she tied him up. But anyway, I moved. Basically, I moved her to another bedroom and he was already secure there by the bed. Tied his feet to the bedpost. One of the bedposts so he couldn't run. Kind of tied her in the other bedroom, and then I came back to strangle him, and at that time we had a fight. Were you armed with a handgun at that time also? Yes, I had a handgun. I actually had two handguns. Well, when I started strangling, the either the garrote broke or he broke his bonds, and he jumped up real quick-like. I pulled my gun and quickly shot at him. I hit him in the head. He fell over. I could see the blood, and as far as I was concerned, he... 
you know, I thought he was down and was out. And then went and started to started to strangle Kath or Catherine. And then we started fighting because the bonds weren't very good. And so back and forth we fought. You and Catherine? Yeah, we fought. Uh-huh. And I got the best of her and I thought she was going down. And then I could hear some movement in the other room. So I went back and Kevin, no. No, I thought she was going down. And I went back to the other room where Kevin was at. And I tried to re-strangle him at that time. And he jumped up and we fought. And And he about at that time about shot me because he got the other pistol that was in my shoulder here. I had my Magnum in my shoulder. So, and really I... A shoulder holster? Yes. Mm-hmm. I had the Magnum in my shoulder holster. The other one was a twenty-two, And we fought at that point in time and I thought it was going to go off. I jammed the gun, stuck my finger in the, in there, jammed it. And I think he thought that was, I think he thought that was the only gun I had. Because once I either bit his finger or hit him or something, got away, and I used the twenty-two and shot him one more time, and I thought he was down for good that time. What happened then? We went, went back to finish, job, finish the job on Catherine, and she was fighting. At that point in time, I'd been fighting her. I just... And then I heard some... I don't know whether I was lose... Basically losing control. The strangulation wasn't working on her, and I used a knife on her. What did you do with the knife? I stabbed her. She was stabbed, either stabbed two or three times, either here or here, maybe two back here and one here, or maybe just two times back here. And you're, you're pointing to your lower back and your, your... Yeah, underneath the ribs. Uh, and under your lower abdomen. So after you stabbed her, what happened? Actually, I think at that point in time, well, it's a total mess because I didn't have control of it. She was bleeding. She went down. I think I just went back to check on Kevin or that or at that basically same time I heard him escape. It could be one of the two. But all of a sudden the front door of the house was open and he was gone. And oh, I tell you what I thought. I thought the police were coming at that time. I heard the door open. I thought, you know, that's it. And I stepped out there and he I could see him running down the street. So I quickly cleaned up everything that I could and left. All right. Now, Mr. Raider, you indicated that at the at the time, at the Oteros, you did not have a mask on. Did you have a mask on at the Brights? No, no, I didn't. I tried. I had already had the keys to the car, and I thought I had the, the right key to the right car. I ran out to their car, and what... I think it was a pickup out there, and I tried it. didn't work. And at that point in time, I was... He was gone, running down the street. I thought, well, I'm in trouble. So I tried it, didn't work. So I just took off, ran. I went down, went east, and then worked back towards the WSU campus where my car was parked. How far away were, was the Bright's residence? Oh, I parked, what is that, 13th? And there, I want to say there, they were on 13th. What is that, 17th? Yeah, I was for, I was just about one block south of 17th, where the car was. There, there's a park there. I parked by that park. And then I walked to 13th to the Bright's residence. So I basically ran back. All right. So you were able to get to your car and get away. Yes, sir. So later he stated that Catherine fought like a hellcat. Um, so good for her. I wish she had killed him. Right. Um, unfortunately, she died a few hours later in the hospital. Um, Kevin survived his head wounds. He was able to get help, and so she, that's how she was transported to a hospital. Unfortunately, it was too late. Mm -hmm. 
Catherine Bright and Julie. Well, he got her under the ribs, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming that he probably... Yeah, he stabbed her in some pretty vital places. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Catherine Bright and Julie Otera worked with Raider at the Coleman Company. Oh, so they could have... Did they know him? I don't think they knew him specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had seen him in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. That's, or that's if very he risky. had seen them without... I mean, he'd been watching them regardless, but mm-hmm. if he was watching them even when they were at work, not just when they were at home moving about outside of work. Right. So, and this is incident two with counts uh, five and six? No, that was just count five because Kevin did not die. Gotcha. These are... Um, and these are all counts towards murder. First degree murder, yes. Okay, first degree murder. Mm-hmm. 1974, October... Uh, so these are all within the same year? Those two were, yes. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that Raider is particularly known for is taunting the police with letters and packages and things like that. Um, there's kind of some speculation that he was inspired by the Zodiac Killer. Um, he Could... did. He definitely took ins- or was inspired uh, by other serial killers. He idolized Ted Bundy, so that tells you something right there. Mm-hmm. Uh What's interesting is in those courtroom transcripts that we're reading off of, he seems awfully complacent. Was he complacent oh, yeah. like throughout the whole thing once he was caught? Um, we'll we'll get to that because okay. I talk about when he's arrested. But he's gotcha. It just seemed like he was very forthcoming with his. Yep, information. He, he just. It, I think he's very proud of what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't want anyone else to take credit for what he did. Sure. Um, but yeah, he lays it out right there and he gives this very cold, because uh, I, I remember this vividly from when I was a kid. There were uh, things on the news about him giving his testimony and he's very cold and calculated. Like he, he did not care. Uh, so an editor for the Wichita Eagle newspaper, which there Wichita. will be, huh? Which again, so I was like, Ita. Which, oh, I see. For the Wichita <laughs> Eagle newspaper, that uh, newspaper will come up a lot. Uh, they received a phone call telling them to find, or the, to the editor, telling him to find a letter in an engineering book in the Wichita Public Library. Uh, instead of going to, just being like, oh, yep, yeah, this weird voice told me to go find this book, he called the police, like a smart person. So the police go, and they find this letter in this engineering book that is a gruesome description of the Otero murders by someone with a good knowledge of the crime scene. And it was written with poor grammar and spelling, and it expressed concern that the police had arrested the wrong man. So I have an excerpt of that letter. Uh, The grammar is really bad. The spelling is really bad. I'm going to try my best to not mentally correct it. So here are, here's some excerpts here. I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time. Those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put this straight. The writer of the letter would have come to be inside the house when the crime was committed or participated in the crime. Wait. No, I don't think that was part of the letter. JK. Because then it says, uh, 
that was a comment made of the letter by uh, the chief of police. Mm-hmm. Strike that from the record. So the last thing that he said, let's put this straight. Then he gave the details of the Otero murders. Uh, I'm sorry this happened to society. They are the ones who suffer the most. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang-up. When this monster enter my brain, I will never know. But it here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help, that you have killed four people, that they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it so the monster goes on, and hurt me as well as society. Society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams or some victims being torture and being mine. It a big, complicated, complicated game, my friend, of the monster play putting victims number down, follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know. But it too late. Good luck hunting. Yours, truly guiltily. Um, and it wasn't signed, but there was a postscript. P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. BTK. You see he at it again. They will be on the next victim. So that was the first letter that he ever sent. So he branded himself. We'll talk about that with the next letter because it's it's weird Mm -hmm. how that came about. Interesting. So the things went quiet for a bit. There, that was, there weren't any letters. Um, he had a son in 1975. Um, oh, gosh. Nothing. I wonder how that kid feels. Uh, the, the weird thing, and I'll say this again later, the family had no idea. He just seemed like a normal... He, yeah, he was completely living a double life. His wife and kids had no idea. The church people that he was with had no idea. None of his neighbors had any inkling. Well, I can see why he was also inspired by Ted, Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. right? He And while he probably worked on being an extrovert, he was trying to find a way to literally conceal himself mm-hmm. in every aspect so he could fully immerse himself mm-hmm. in his fantasy. Yeah, is they had zero idea. Interesting. So now we're moving into 1977. So it's been two and a half ish years and mm-hmm. um, March so even though he hadn't been killing Raider had continued to stalk victims in 1977 he decided that it was time for another kill he'd been trolling one particular neighborhood fairly heavily and he had some sec- se- selected some women that he liked and remind me what trolling means uh, via uh, versus stalking so his it was hard to find exactly what he meant by that my it's like vague interactions my guess is so there like his idea of trolling is just kind of going through seeing what's there and stalking is when he picks a particular person. Gotcha. So it's more like trolling is like equivalent of scouting versus stalking is like the mm, actual mm-hmm. person involved. Okay. I think so. Uh, he met a woman named Cheryl that he took quite a liking to. She was renting a house with another woman and they often hosted parties. So March 17th, Raider shows up with the intent to kill Cheryl, but she isn't home. She had decided to stay out late with friends. 
Uh, when he discovered that no one was home, uh, he went trolling down the street, finding more empty houses. So anytime your friends are like, no, don't go home yet. Stay out. Maybe you should. Yeah. Yeah. So as he walks, he encounters a little boy named Steve. Uh, Steve is five years old. Uh, he showed him a photo of his wife and kids and asked him if, they knew, if he knows who they are. Steve says no. He continues on his way. He's going to the store. His mother and I believe his two siblings were also ill, but I am not sure. I know his mother was, was for sure ill. Um, so he'd been sent to the store for soup. Things must be pretty dire if you're sending the five-year-old. That's all I can figure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes to a couple other houses, but he sees where Steve goes. Uh, so then he knocks on the door. Steve answers. And he is posing as, like, someone official. Um, so five-year-old Steve opens the door and lets this official-looking official adult into the house because... Sure. You are five. Yeah, you're five and you're told to, you know, mm-hmm. respect adults. And... Yeah, someone knocks on the door, you're supposed to open it. Yeah. If the phone rings, you answer it. That's, right. that's how being five works. So, he lets him in. Uh, so, Raider enters the home, and he immediately pulls the blinds, turns off the TV, and pulls out a gun. So then at this time, 26-year-old Shirley, I think her Vian, Vian? I think it's Vian. Uh, I apologize if I'm pronouncing any of these wrong. I'm not intending to. As far as I have been able to look up, these are the correct pronunciations. Uh, she, she comes to the living room. Raider instructed her to put toys and blankets in the bathroom, and then all three children were locked in the bathroom. He tied one of the doors shut and then tied the doorknob to the sink. Uh, I'm not sure how that would work. I couldn't, like, puzzle that together in my mind, how you could... Which part? So he tied the door shut by tying a doorknob to a sink. It was like one of those old school sinks, right? Because they kind of like were connected to the wall. And then there was like that mm-hmm. little pipe that goes like under underneath. Yeah. Since some of them are old school, he could have tied the door handle to the bottom part of that. But I guess I get Which what I mean, you're saying. I guess like if the door opened out, that would yeah prevent it from opening. But mm-hmm. also if it's tied inside. How do you get it? Why out? wouldn't you try not to untie it? Yeah. Um, but then they pushed a bed against the other side of the they're the other door because it it sounded like there were multiple doors to this bathroom mm-hmm. and then he proceeded to strip and bind Shirley and I have the transcripts for that one and this is number so this six? is count yes this is count six count six as before Vivan was a actually on that one she was completely random there was actually someone that across from Dylan's was potential target it was called Project Green I think I had project numbers assigned to it and that particular day, I drove to Dylan's, parked in the parking lot, watched this particular residence, and then got out of the car and walked over to it. It's probably in the police report, the address. I don't remember the address now. Knocked. Nobody. Nobody answered it. So I was all keyed up. So I just started going through the neighborhood. I had been through the neighborhood before. I kind of knew a little. Little about the layout of the neighborhood. I've been through the back alleys. Knew there was some certain people lived. While I was walking down Hydraulic, I met a... Uh, hydraulic is the street. Uh, I met a a young boy and asked him if he would ID some pictures. Kind of as a ruse, I guess. Or, sorry, kind of as a Russ, I guess. Or ruse, as you call it. And kind of feel it out. And saw where he went. And I went to another address, knocked on the door. Nobody answered the door. Nobody opened the door. So I just noticed where he went and went to that house. And we went from there. Now, you you call these... 
projects. Were these sexual fantasies also? Potential hits. That, in my world, that's what I call them. All right. And, and why did you have these potential hits? Was this to gratify some sexual interest or... Yes, sir. I had there... I had a lot of them. So it's just, if one didn't work, I'd just move to another one. All right. So as I am to understand it then, on the 17th of March, 1977, you saw this little boy go into a residence. Mm-hmm. And you tried another residence? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Went to the residence with the little boy. And I watched. I watched where he went. Wait. Uh, I Did right. I just flip this page over instead? No, I didn't. No. Uh, okay. Um, after I tried this one, the residence, nobody came to the door. I went to this house where he went in. I knocked on the door and told him I was a private detective. Showed him a picture that I had just showed the boy and asked him if they could ID the picture. At that time, I, I had the gun here, and I just kind of forced myself in. I just, you know, walked in. Just opened the door and walked in and then pulled the pistol. All right, so you only had one gun with you this time. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. I told Mrs. Miss Vianne that I had a problem with sexual fantasies, that I was going to tie her up, and that and I might have to tie the kids up, and that she would cooperate with this, cooperate with me at that time. We went back. She was extremely nervous. I think she even smoked a cigarette. And we went back to the one of the back back areas of the porch, explained to her that I had done this before. And, you know, I think she, at that point in time, I think she was sick because she had a night robe on. And I think, if I remember right, she was, she had been sick. I think, I think she came out of the bedroom when I went in the house. So anyway, we went back to the her bedroom, and I proceeded to tie the kids up, and they started crying and got real upset. So I said, oh, this is not going to work. So we moved him to the bathroom. She helped me, and then I tied the door shut. We put some toys and blankets and odds and ends in there for the kids, make them as comfortable as we could. Tied the, We tied one of the bathroom doors shut so they couldn't open it, and we shoved. she went back and helped me shove the bed against the other bathroom door. And then I proceeded to, to tie her up. She got sick, threw up. Got her a glass of water, comforted her, comforted her a little bit, and then went ahead and tied her up and put a bag, a bag over her head and strangled her. All right. Was this a plastic bag also? Yes, sir. I think it was. Now, you say you put a bag over her head and strangled her. What did you strangle her with? I actually, I think on that I had tied, tied her legs to the bedpost and worked up with the rope all the way. And then what I had left over, I looped around her, looped over her neck. All right. So you used this rope to strangle her. Yes. Uh-huh. I think, I think it was the same one that I had tied her body with. Mm-hmm. Well, the kids were really banging on the door, hollering and screaming. And then the telephone rang. And they had talked about earlier that the neighbor's going to check on them. So I cleaned everything up real quick, like, and got out of there, left and went back in to my car. Now, when you say you cleaned everything... Well... I mean, put my stuff. I had a briefcase. Whatever I had lying around, ropes, tape, cords, I knew, I threw that in there. My, you know, whatever you know, that I had that I brought in the house. Had you brought that to the Bright residence also, or? Yeah, there is some stuff there. I, I think there's some basic, basic stuff, but I don't remember bringing total stuff like I did to some of the others. 
Was this a kit that you had prepared? Yeah, I... Beforehand? Yes, I call it my hit kit. All right, sir. You left the Vivian residence, or uh, VN residence, and had parked your vehicle near there. Yeah, still in the same parking lot there at Dylan's. Uh, so the the ringing phone is actually what scared him away. Um, and this was before the children were able to break out of the bathroom. Uh, but they were able to bake, break out of the bathroom and they found their mother like that. Mm-hmm. Um, God, what a sight. He, had he not run out of, or not been frightened away by the phone, he had planned to kill all three kids. Um, and I read an article that it was an interview. So it could have been th- uh, 13 counts then. Mm-hmm. Well... Would that have been premeditated then for the kids? Oh, no, he said he already had plans for the kids, so I guess then, yeah, it would still fall underneath first degree, right? Um, I, I mean, it's So there's, there's three degrees to right? This was premeditated in that he went out with the intent to kill someone. Mm-hmm. No, he didn't specifically go to kill this person or these people because he, he had planned to kill someone else. Right, but, okay. But I think the fact that he went out to kill someone would be And he also had these projects ready, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Uh, He left semen on some underwear that were found next to the body. So he's just leaving DNA all over the fucking place. So, 1977, December. Raider became fixated on Nancy Fox. She was 25, and he stalked her from her home to her workplace. December 8th, he breaks into her condo after cutting the phone line. He waits for her to return home from her evening job at a jewelry store where she lives alone. Let me grab the transcripts for that one. Nancy Fox was another one of the projects. When I was trolling the area, I noticed her go in the house one night. Sometimes I would, and anyway, I put her down as potential victim. Let me ask you one thing, Mr. Raider. You've used that term when you were patrolling the area. What do you mean by that? It's called stalking or trolling. So you were not working in any form or fashion. You were just... Well, I don't know. If you know, if you read about serial killers, they go through what they call the different phases. This, that's one of the phases they go through is a, as a trolling stage. You're lay, basically you're looking for a victim at that time. And that can either be trolling for months or years. But once you lock in on a certain person, then you become stalking. And that might be several of them, but you really home in on, home in on that person. They, they basically come the, that's, that's the victim, or at least that's what you want them to be. All right, sir. No, no, I wasn't working, sir. No, this was, no, this was off, off, off of my hours. All right. So you basically identified Nancy Fox as one of your projects. What happened then? At first she was spotted, and then I did a little homework. I dropped by once to check the mailbox to see what her name was, found out where she worked, stopped by there once at Hausberg, kind of sized her up. I had, the more I knew about a person, the the more I felt comfortable with it. So I did that a couple of times, and then I just selected a night, which was this particular night, to try it, and it worked out. About two or three blocks away, I parked my car and walked to that residence. I knocked at the... Knocked at the door first to make sure, see if anybody was in there, because I knew she arrived home at a particular time from where she worked. 
Nobody answered the door, so I went around to the back of the house, cut the phone lines. I could tell that there wasn't anybody in the north apartment, broke in and waited for her to come home in the kitchen. I confronted her, told her there, I was a, I had a problem, sexual problem, that I would have to tie her up and have sex with her. She was a little upset. We talked for a while. She smoked a cigarette. While the, while we smoked a cigarette, I went through her purse, identifying some stuff, and she finally said, well, let's get this over with so I can go call the police. I said, okay, and she said, can I go to the bathroom? I said, yes. She went to the bathroom and came, and I told her when she came out to make sure she was undressed. And when she came out, I handcuffed her. And don't really remember whether I... You handcuffed her. Sir? You handcuffed her. You had a pair of handcuffs? Yes, sir. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What happened then? Well, anyway, I had her. I handcuffed her. Had her lay on the bed, and then I tied her feet. And then I, I... I was also undressed to a certain degree. And then I got on top of her. And then I reached over, took either... Either... Either her feet were tied or not tied. But anyway, I took... I think I had a belt. I took the belt and then strangled her with the belt at that time. Okay, after I strangled her with the belt, I took the belt off and retied that with pantyhose real tight. Removed the handcuffs and tied those with with pantyhose. Can't remember the colors right now. I think it maybe I think I maybe retied her feet if they hadn't already. They were probably already tied. Her feet were and then at the time masturbated, sir. All right. Had you had sexual relations with her? No. Before? No, no. I told her I was, but I did not. All right. So you masturbated. Then what did you do? Dressed and then went through the house. Took some of her personal items and kind of cleaned the house up. Went through and made, checked everything, and then left. So he left semen on a nightgown that was next to the body. Mm Mm-hmm. So the next day he goes to work at ADT okay. and he leaves in a company van, uh, stops at a payphone and calls police dispatch and says, yes, you will find a homicide at 840, 843 South Pershing, Nancy Fox. That is correct. And then he leaves. Uh, he just leaves the receiver dangling because he's a dramatic fuck. I know. That's like something I'd see like in a movie. Yep. Uh, just leaves it dangling. Um, and then this recording of this payphone call was played over and over and over on, like, all of the Wichita media. And Which really just, should I give him a fucking big ego? Probably. But nobody could recognize his voice because it's the fucking 70s. And one, it's a recording of a payphone. And two, it's a recording of a payphone in the 70s. Yeah. Of course nobody could recognize it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need more wine. That's, I know, right? I'm slowly working on it. So, now we're into 1978. January. Raider sends a postcard with a sarcastic poem entitled Shirley Locks uh, to the Wichita Eagle. Okay. But no one recognizes its significance until a couple days later. Uh, following this postcard, Raider sends a letter to Cake, or K-A-K-E, which is a the local TV studio. Mm-hmm. Cake. So he sends a letter to them. Uh, this was taken 
seriously right away. He claimed responsibility for the Otero, Vian, and Fox murders, as well as an unnamed seventh victim. Uh, So that would be Catherine Bright. Mm -hmm. And I have that letter here. Uh, At least part of the letter, because I think it was super long. I think this might be the whole letter. I don't know. I find the newspaper not writing about the poem on vain, unamusing. A little paragraph would have enough. I know it not the media fault. The police chef, he keep things quiet and doesn't let the public know they're a psycho running around loose, strangling mostly women. There's seven in the ground. Who will be next? How many do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention? Do the cop think that all those deaths are not related? Golly gee. Yes, the MO is different in each. But look, a pattern is developing. The victims are tie up most. Have been women phone cut. Bring some bondage, mater sadist tendencies. No struggle. Outside the death spot, no witness except the Vane's kids. They were very lucky. A phone call saved them. I was going to tape the boys and put plastic bags over their head like I did Joseph and Shirley, and then hang the girl. God, oh God, what a beautiful sexual relief that would have been. Josephine, when I hung her, really turned me on. Her pleading for mercy, then the rope took hold. She helpless. Starring at me with wide terror, filled eyes, the rope getting tighter, tighter. You don't understand these things because you're not under the influence of Factor X. The same thing that made Son of Sam, Jack the Ripper, Havery Glatman, Boston Strangler, Dr. H. H. Holmes Pantyhose Strangler of Florida Hillside Strangler, Ted of the West Coast, and that's Ted Bundy, uh, and many more infamous character kill, which seems S- senseless but we cannot help it there is no help no cure except death or being caught and put away it a terrible nightmare but you see i don't lose any sleep over it after a thing like fox i come home and go about life like anyone else and i will be like that until the urge hit me again it not continuous and i don semicolon t have a lot of time it take time to set a kill, one mistake and it all over. Since I about blew it on the phone, handwriting is out, letter guide is too long, and typewriter can be traced too. My short poem of death and maybe a drawing, later on real picture and maybe a tape of the sound will come your way. How will you know me? Before a murder or murders, you will receive a copy of the initials BTK. You keep that copy, the original will show up someday on Guess Who. Maybe you not be the unluck one. P.S. How about some name for me? It's time. Seven down and many more to go. I like the following. How about you? The BTK Strangler. Wichita Strangler. Poetic Strangler. The Bond Age Strangler. Or Psycho, the Wichita Hangman. The Wichita Executioner. The Garot Phantom. The Asphyxiator. BTK. So this fuck is trying to give himself his own nickname, which he did because BTK stuck. Right. Um, I mean, most of these read like... But like, you know, he's almost asking for like, how should I publicize myself? 
this is he's straight up saying why am i not getting more attention i want more attention yeah. with this feels and i i know i haven't talked about zodiac but this feels very much like zodiac it also feels a little bit like the axeman of new orleans which i also haven't talked about don't know anything about him oh god it, the reference i'm making there is i think he contacted a newspaper and said, unless jazz is playing in every house in New Orleans. Oh, yes. Yes. That, that, was, like, talk, that was talked about on, um, I think that's what we drink at some mm-hmm. point, too. Yes, yeah, if jazz is playing in every house in New Orleans, then I won't kill someone tonight. Um, so it's like, if I get this publicity, then maybe I won't do anything. I don't feel like that's what he's saying here. I feel like he's saying, yep, you should publicize me, because I'm going to do all the crime. I'm going to kill all the people, is what it feels like he's saying. Um, it also feels like he would like a job as a 1996 professional wrestler namer. Right. That's what... Yeah. The, the Asphyxiator. Also, the Garot Phantom sounds like a name of like a really bad band from the early 90s. Mm. <clears throat> so, also included with that letter was a weird poem entitled... O Death to Nancy, which was a rewriting of an old folk song and poem called O Death. Um, and I read that, but I didn't feel like reading it because it was really bad. Like, seventh grade poetry He can't bad. be good at everything. Well, he's not good at poetry. That's, that's a thing he is bad at. Uh, so then these letters... F- These letters forced the Wichita Police Department to make a decision to publicly admit that there was an unknown serial killer running around Wichita... And everyone was encouraged to be extra careful, lock your doors, uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there's like a whole generation of women in Wichita that grew up, I mean, it probably even not just Wichita, but they grew up thinking, or not thinking, they grew up with it being routine, the first thing you do when you come home is you check your phone for a dial tone to see if your phone line has been cut. Oh. And that's... Wow. A scary thing to think about. Because like, imagine like all of a sudden you go check your phone. And it is. And it's cut. But for that to be the first thing to think about when wow. you come home, your home is supposed to be like your, your, safe, your safe place. place. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, it makes me think of that whole like, you know, these well, days <laughs> women walk to their cars with like their keys in their fist. Uh-huh. And it's yeah. it's that kind of thing. Or with you have to be on your guard all your time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I always... You know, whenever I hang out with friends and, like, it's just, like, me and, like, the last person I always try to walk mm-hmm. into the car because I don't trust any fucks here mm-hmm. at all, even though Idaho relatively is safe. Mm-hmm. But now we have freaking blow darts everywhere. And- yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, there's sick, twisted people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think that that would be the stage for this kind of a thing. But, right. I mean, like, where is the stage for this kind of a thing? It's just mm-hmm. wherever these people are. Like, right. Ted of the West Coast. Like, that would have happened wherever he was. Right. Because, I mean, it did. It did, Because yeah. then he went he to Florida. Him, yeah. He, he was... He, he, like, left a trail of fucking awful everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. Which, this is unrelated to this case, but I finally watched... Uh, fuck, what is it called? With the really long name. Extremely... Extremely shocking... Dis- yeah, disturbing or... Uh, something in Yes. Um, the one that had a whole bunch of controversy before it was released, because it had Zac Efron. I thought he portrayed him very, very well. The mm-hmm. acting was great. The screenplay left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff that was left out. 
And yeah. some stuff that was, I mean, I get that it's a movie. Right. There was some stuff that was just wasn't true, that didn't necessarily need a to bit be. bit dramatized to uh-huh. pull you in. Which, I get it. I get it. It's a movie. That happened over several years. You can't put all that in two hours. But maybe you could try a little harder. Yeah. Um, And then also, like, that whole thing at the end, where he, spoilers, he, you know, breathes on the, on the glass and then writes hacksaw. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. That would be perfect for a horror movie. Not one that's supposed to be like a dramatized thing about of real events. Because mm-hmm. I think was it, that actually what happened? No, okay. she she did not go visit him. Gotcha. So um, that ending yeah. bit was completely theatrics. And the way, the way that they portrayed her as being like, oh, I think I ruined his life, isn't right either. Yeah. Because when she... Did she actually... Was she the one that... Yeah, no, she she absolutely was the one that turned him in. Someday I will do an episode on Ted Bundy, but I didn't want to because I was like, it's too hot right now. Everybody's like all all up in Ted Bundy. Yeah. No, that's fair. You don't want to... Because you want want to make something hot. You don't want to be on something while it's hot. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't want to be on Ted Bundy ever. Sorry. (laughs) No, I'm... You know exactly what yes, I, I do. mean, though, right? Because um, you want to either you want to start the trend or set it. You don't want well, to be on the trend. I've no talked way... about Bundy before. I mean, not here, just like in my life, uh-huh. because I was that that kid uh, and young adult that whenever they were like, "Oh, you have to do a presentation for class, and you can do whatever you wanted on." I always always did always serial killers always always. Um, and then in college, I had to take this stupid class. It was computer skills. Mm-hmm. But we went over Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, and... I am proficient in Excel. Fuck, what was it? It was It's some, on my resume. <laughs> it was some sort of, like, a website builder. My, oh, my gosh. It was, gosh. like, Microsoft, like, showstopper. I know what you're talking something about. Something like that. Something that is, like, it. totally defunct. Oh, no, it's totally gone. It's been obliterated. Yeah, like, we had to, we had to do that, and that, I, that was the dumbest thing ever. I was like, why... I have to take this class because I'm getting a degree in dance okay that makes sense Mm. which i wish i could have gotten that one written off because i was like i'm also getting a degree in psychology i can obviously use a fucking computer Mm -hmm. but that was one of the things i i gave a a very informative powerpoint presentation on serial killers and no one in the class talked to me for the rest of the semester enjoy (laughs) when i was in ninth grade that's the thing about podcasts (laughs) you don't have to anyone talk back to you just you. Just me. <laughs> also, if my husband would continue to talk to me, that'd be cool. I mean, that's important. <laughs> right. Um, I know we have gotten off track, but that's yes. fine. I can use a moment. Uh, it's nice to have a little moment to reprieve. I was, all the, like, right now, I kind of, in a weird way, I feel numb. It, like, it, it, it's unspecified. Part of it is because me. the way that he talks about it is so matter-of-fact. Yeah, it's so casual. And like, oh yeah, and then I just like went in and tied him up, and yeah, it was just like a Tuesday. Okay, yeah, no, like, that kind of makes sense. All right. Wine. The other thing is just, when you keep hearing about shit that happens in the world, right, it's like, a great example is uh, all the school shootings. The, yeah. I hear about those, and it it bothers me, that me it how I'm not surprised. R- right, or like, it's like I'm sad, but like, I remember like when like the first ones happened, stuff like I was just, I remember like, very when upset. I was like, I remember distraught watching the coverage of all of the kids running out of the school at Columbine. Yeah, I was gonna say, and then going to school, and that 
be, that being playing at school mm-hmm. and thinking, oh my God, like this is what is going on. This right. is supposed to be a safe place. Yeah. And it, it's, God, what a time to be alive. Not kidding. Oh. So he sent this letter with the, this terrible seventh grade, uh, Oh, death to Nancy poem. Uh, women are checking for dial tones in 1978 Raider's daughter is born and he only has two kids. So he has a son and daughter. Okay. Um, and I don't, I went back and forth on this for a while. Um, cause the daughter is kind of in the public, public eye because she's written books. Um, she has a book called, I think it's the serial killer's daughter. And mm. I mean, just like how she had to cope with learning that her father was not the guy that she thought he was. And the, he, you know, he killed a woman while his, her mother was three months pregnant with her. And I mean, I think that's my next note. It says his wife was pregnant at the time of the Fox murder. And so she's, she's written books about how she has coped. I listened to, I listened to part of a podcast uh, where she was talking with the host of the podcast about her, like how, she, how it was that she had coped. Um, I couldn't listen to the whole thing because I, you should always like read titles. I uh-huh. did not read that the title of this podcast was not your pastor's podcast and it got a little preachy for me and I was like, okay, I think I've had enough. Um, but if your faith is what helps you overcome shit, that is great. Yep. You do Everyone that. Everyone has something they lean on. That's not my thing. And so I just kind of dipped out of that. But, so, 1978, daughter is born. Oh, what was I saying? Oh, I went back and forth on whether or not I should include their names. I didn't want to, because I didn't want to attach them to this any more than I they already are. I think that's completely fair and appropriate. Um, it's like, um, like, for me, if there was, like, an event uh, with, like, like a recent, like, you know, serial killer mm-hmm. or something like that, um, I like how, like, I listen a lot of Filter Frankel, I like how he omits the names. And, like, he'll mention... The like, killer. Yeah. I've been listening to a podcast called, I think it's called Confronting. Well, um, you're a rapist, then you always well, say the rapist's name. Yeah, because you need to time. fucking watch out. The, the, this particular one is about Kim Goldman, uh, Ron Goldman's brother. And Ron Goldman is the other person that O.J. Simpson killed. Right. And he Which I said of... because he's fucking guilty. Right. And he's out of prison now, right? And I remember like he has this whole Twitter thing now. Yeah, he's, he's real active on getting Twitter. E- getting even with people. Uh-huh. Um, I, their Scary. latest episode of Confronting was a phone call between one of the hosts of this podcast, not Kim Goldman, and his current lawyer, who, oh my god, he is a piece of work. Oh god, listen with to that. the lawyer of O.J. Simpson? Yes. It, ugh. And I went back and forth. I was talking to our friend Shannon, who ha- runs the Vampire Movie Club podcast, which you should totally look up. Yep. Her and I are plugins. Her and I are true crime buddies. You're just getting all the podcast plugs today. Woo! That's all. <laughs> that so I listen nice. to so many podcasts, guys. It's great. Um, but her and I were talking about how we have this like cognitive dissonance dissonance between wanting to be like i want to follow this twitter because i want to keep updated and like see what it what fucking weird shit he's saying but i also don't want to follow him because fucking you mm-hmm. like ugh, it's the same reason why i don't follow donald trump well like yeah and 
with that in mind too, I will look for, like, I'll look for tweets, but I don't follow the person. But yeah, that's the thing. Where I'm I don't like, like, you know it. what? I'll check up on it today and see what it is. But I don't want that in my feed. Mm-hmm. Right, and I also Ugh. don't like to give. I don't like to increase the visibility of that person. That has. yeah, I don't want to be like, oh, look at how many followers there are. Which that's one thing is that I know that a lot of the people that are following, uh, air quotes, mm-hmm. OJ are not fans of his. No. They're like me, where they just want to see what he's saying. But I don't want to add to that number where he's like, yep, look how many followers I have. And these are all people that think that I'm innocent. Fuck no. There, there's probably one... And you know what? I don't... I, hmm, I don't even know if I could quantify how many people think he's innocent because I think that number should be zero. Right, but I'm sure Because he fucking knows chunk. he's not. I mean, just think about, like, um, we also talked about... And again, this is quite a bit of a segue, but... Uh, Ted Bundy. This is happening. Right? Oh. I, nice crack. Yeah. Um, like with Ted Bundy, right? There were those people that would, uh, what was it? it was oh, it's Bundy's, red. It was like Bundy's girls, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's another thing I can't understand is the groupies. Like, what was it? Like, cause they used to like say like, kill me daddy or something like that. Yeah. It's just really, I mean, it's just sad because I, uh, it's unhealthy. Clearly whatever relationship they have. Or uh, how they view things is a bit unhealthy. I'm part of a lot of, like, true crime enthusiast groups on Facebook or whatever. Oh, boy. Quite a change. And it's... Yeah, it is. That was a white. This is a red. This this is a... This is a petite Syrah. Syrah. Um... Uh... What was it? There was some group that I was a part of where somebody... It may have even been the... And that's why you drink fan group. Before that shut down. Okay. Um, somebody posted a picture of a new tattoo that they just got. And it was Bundy's teeth impressions. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Because there is a difference between being interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. And being fascinated. And like idolizing these people. Right. Which is not okay. Mm-hmm. These people are horrible, terrible things. Yeah. Last thing. But I want to know what makes them tick. I do not think they are cool. <laughs> Right. But it's cool, if you know what I mean. Right. It's important to understand the people without almost, like, like you like said, idolizing them. Mm-hmm. You really, got, you really can't do that, because then it encourages people to be like that. Because there's this whole thing about, like, people that are murder groupies, and, um, like, how fucking Charles Manson gets married while he's in prison. Uh, that was another thing, is that while BTK is in prison... Uh, Dennis Rader. He has lots of pen pals. Weird. Mm-hmm. Anyways, let's get back to back to BTK. So now we're at 1979. Okay. April. Rader breaks into the home of Anna Williams, a 63-year-old woman who was recently widowed. He waits for her to come home. No. Uh-huh. So he waits for her to come home. And he waits. And he waits. And finally, he leaves after stealing a few ob- like objects. Um, it didn't say anything specific. He just took some like tchotchkes that were hanging around or whatever. Um, she comes home. It looks like just a simple break-in theft kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this same year, Raider will graduate from Wichita State University with his degree in administration of justice. Okay. Uh... Which he never uses, but he has it. A couple of days before his graduation, Anna receives a package in the mail containing a drawing of what Raider had intended to do to her, 
and a poem titled Oh Anna, Why Didn't You Appear, which I also read, and it was also terrible. I think I wrote better poems when I was in seventh grade, and that's about the level this is at. Good thing it wasn't an English major. Ugh. The f next day, a similar package was delivered to the Cake TV studios. Uh, after this, Anna quickly moved out of the state, which I don't fucking blame you. I would have done Get the, the same out. goddamn thing. That's almost... Man, and like, she was a widow. Mm-hmm. Right? Was she recently widowed? Mm-hmm. Poor girl, can't even catch a break. Yeah. To recently lose your husband, and then find know that out. someone has broken in and invaded your space, and, was and then find out that they were intending to kill you in not a nice way. Which, I mean, not that it's like, yeah, I have a nice way to kill you, but there, there is a degree of ways that are bad to die. Yeah. That was good Dying English Dying in your bed is a good one. Typically. Uh, murder? Generally not. Yeah. So then nothing happens for six years. It's quiet. Um, from that time... Wait. Yes. So there isn't any communication with the exception of a letter that is received in 1988 or sorry, 19, nope, 1985. Okay. So right now he jumped, he jumped from 1977 to 1979 and then he jumped from, wait, when did this start? 1974? So yeah. So 1974 was when his first, so two things happened in 74. That's when the Otero murders were. Right. Two things happened in 74, mm -hmm. nothing happened in 77, and then, then we're in 1979 is where this recent one just happened that we talked about, and then it jumps the all breaking, the way into yeah. 1984? Uh, yeah, I gotta go through this timeline a little bit more. Okay. I'd... I'm just trying to keep track of, like, when certain things happen. Oh, so I understand what I wrote here. It said, from the time that that letter is received, so the one about Anna, uh, to 1985, BTK is quiet. In 1984, a new BTK investigation is opened. A team of six detectives are assigned to work on the case, full-time. That team is called the Ghostbusters, which... Cold case? Are they, do they just deal with cold cases? Uh, no, they are specifically on this case only. Hmm. Uh, that team is called the Ghostbusters, and they spend three years using new DNA techniques, uh, or new DNA testing... I should say, and then other new techniques such as database searches and psychological profiling to try to crack this case. Um, which, if you have watched Mindhunter, uh, it's super good. And season two season is coming, two is coming out. out soon. Woo! At the end of several episodes, there are small snippets of this guy running around doing creepy things. And he's in an ADT uniform and an ADT van. Because, my friends, that is Dennis Rader. The guy that they are alluding to there, I think in the credits, he's even listed as, like, ADT guy, because they don't want to give it away or something. Mm -hmm. That is Dennis Rader. So I'm hoping that they hit in that a little bit next season, since that... Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I don't know what their timeline for that is. Maybe that is when they're starting to use the profiling to try to figure this out. Right. Um, anyways, so they spend three years here, nothing, as he's not arrested for many, many more years. So, but they're starting to do DNA testing. So that is cool. Good. 
Uh, Raider does not communicate again until 2004, uh, with the exception of a letter in 1988 that was not known to have come from him until much later. So he did communicate, but no one knew it was him until later. Which sounds very much not like him. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the that letter, and it you might understand why people were like, mm, okay. Okay. Uh, so he becomes more active in his church. He becomes a Cub Scout leader. He continues to troll for targets while this is, you know, in this his quiet period, which it's, I mean, I guess it could be a cooling off period, but there's like no rhyme or reason. Well, and I know that things usually and normally like the escalate. Cooling off periods, like, yeah, normally they escalate, and from what I've seen, because in no way am I a professional only a cooling off period is uh, to eventually lead back up to it coming back and normally its frequency is the same and until you have someone that um, what what's the terminology like when someone spirals out of control they no longer have frequency um, you know what I'm talking about though uh, yes right? I don't remember the term where it's like um, they've they've escalated to the point where like they no longer have a cooling off and mm-hmm. they start becoming like a spree that, that was yeah that was what happened with Bundy and uh, the at Kai Omega okay right so like but like him like it's not really a cooling off period because, like, the intervals, I mean, if, if anything, it's a slowing down. He's, like, mm-hmm. almost de-escalating. Yeah. In a way. Which, Which is I, bizarre. It's really hard to figure out if, like, because there doesn't seem to be any pattern of time frame. Uh-huh. The only pattern is, like he mentioned, is that it, people are tied up and then mm-hmm. they're strangled. Right. And he is targeting women. So far, the men that have died have been like almost collateral damage. Like, they were just wrong place, wrong time. Um, hmm. Right, so he's active in his church. Uh, still trolling for potential victims. He's a Cub Scout. So I wonder if that means that he just hadn't found anyone. Yeah, it could. If he's been. still trolling for them, maybe he's because just. Because I also wonder. And he does say that it could take months, it could take years. Do you know what. Did he ever state what the stresses were in his life that is what caused him to go after certain people? Because he definitely he had a certain type that he was looking for. It doesn't necessarily sound like there were stressors in his life where he was like, oh, now I gotta go kill someone. Because right, when you hear about this, it almost sounds like he was just. That triggers it. Right? Yeah, it almost sounds like he was just waiting for the right person to come along. Which, yeah. I'm not sure if that... What's interesting is, like, it makes me almost feel like, in a sense, like, he'd be highly intelligent, but with how he writes, mm-hmm. it's... it's if it, Well, if that... I mean, it's a, the type of intelligence he was Because he was, he has, he was a, a poor student, yeah. Yeah. And he he doesn't seem like he has any social intelligence. He has a lot of restraint when he chooses. I think that's the best yeah. way to put it, because, like, he's, he's, not, he's not smart in terms of, like, he leaves DNA all around. He's basically very messy. Uh-huh. But... He, and he talks about where he's calculating like he when he decides to go. He, he's calculating yeah. what he wants to bring, but he doesn't control the scene in itself. He controls the people in that scene. That makes sense. Yeah. 1985, April. Raider is now 40 years old. Maureen Hedge lives on the same street, just a few houses down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really? Yes. I thought you said she moved, though. Who moved? Maureen? No. Was Maureen the widow? Yes. I thought she left. Wait. No, Anna was the widow. Sorry. Okay, because she moved out of Wichita. I was like, what the fuck? This poor girl! No, Maureen (laughs) lived a couple houses down. 
Um, I feel like, I think she was also a widow, but she wasn't recently widowed. I think uh, her husband had died in the 70s. Oh my gosh. No, that, like, I mean, like, he, this guy's already a piece of garbage, but to prey mm-hmm. on women who literally just have already gone through loss? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even imagine going out that way. And so since her houses were just, the, their houses were not far from each other, like... Raider and his wife would go on walks, and they would wave at her And when she was in the yard, because she liked to work in the yard and do gardening and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. April 27th, 1985, Raider is attending a Cub Scout camp, because cool. Uh, he's with his son. Uh, so he left camp in the evening under the pretext of having a headache and needing to go into town to get something for it. Mm-hmm. He drives to a bowling alley, parks his car. Gets, uh, goes in, orders a beer, swishes it around in his mouth, uh, spits it out, but then spills it on himself so that he smells like alcohol. Oh, oh no. Calls himself a cab. Uh, has the taxi driver drop him off at a park saying that he needs to walk it off. Uh, mm-hmm. However, this park adjoins the backyard of the hedge property. Uh, so he goes over there. Sees that Marine's car is in the carport. Um, so he's kind of disappointed because he's like, oh, well, I didn't want anyone to be home when I broke in. Uh, so he cuts the phone line, thinking that she's home. Uh, pries the back door open with screwdriver. Uh, goes in, turns out that she's not home. Her car just is. Uh, so he goes in there and hides in a bedroom closet. He waits. Mm-hmm. Marine comes home, and she has a male friend. I don't know what kind of relation this is. It just said male friend with her. He leaves around 1 a.m. She goes to bed. Oh my god. He waits for her to fall asleep. Uh. Once she has fallen asleep, he creeps out of the closet, throws the light on, and jumps on her. That's very different. She weighs 100 pounds. She is a very slight woman. Shouldn't stand a chance. So he. So how big is he? He's like what? Like 280? Uh, I mean, I don't know so what I, he looked like in the 80s, but I mean, he he seemed, you know, average dad bod, I guess, from what I remember mm-hmm. in 2004 right. or 2005. Um, he was definitely not 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he throws himself onto her and he manually strangles her to death. That's quite an escalation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> then... That's like the thrill of the chase almost for him. And, yeah, like, I don't know, the whole idea behind it being manual is... Well, because his whole thing was control, and he's now, in a sense, he's taken out control to factor in, like, can I force the situation in my, beha- in mm-hmm. my benefit? Which, Which is and very we'll, strange. We'll read the, the transcript from his, his testimony of that one. I mean, as well, because we will read them for all of them. But it... This is the the first one that he's manually strangled, like just bare hands. Mm-hmm. Everything else he's used a cord. Or well, he tried first with Josephine, and he's like, uh, it didn't work. And then he did mm-hmm. something else afterwards. I mean, every it was like every person in the Otero family. He they had a really prolonged death because he didn't do it right, mm-hmm. and that's they shouldn't have died. Period. But for them to have died that way is really terrible. Right, or like they kept passing out first and then eventually mm-hmm. they died. So, he strangles her to death. Then, he takes her body to the Christ Lutheran Church. 
which he has keys to because he is a Cub Scout leader there. And he's also just well-trusted at the church. And I mean, he's on the board. So he takes her into the basement. Take me to church. Which he has covered all of the windows with black plastic. All of the windows? In the basement. Oh, I'm like in the church. No, in the basement. And he also just like keeps things there that he might need. For things like this. In the church? Yep. God. Uh, I mean, it's one great place to complete a ritual. Mm-hmm. So he takes her there. He photographs her. And then later dumps her body in a ditch along a dirt road several oh miles God. away. And kind of like <clears throat> semi-conceals her under some trimmings. Ooh. Okay, here we go. Nope, that is... The other side. All right. <clears throat> well, actually, kind of like the others. She was chosen. I went through the different phases, stalking phase, and since she lived down the street from me, I could watch the coming and going quite easily. On that particular date, I, I had a other commitment. I had come back from that commitment, parked my car over at Woodlawn, and twenty. Really he's being vague there. I wonder why he's mm-hmm. being vague. And he's vague about weird things where he he'll go into it like really specific detail about the it's murder. Because it's not the character, like he's not in that character currently. I I don't know if that's it, but he'll go into really specific details about how he killed them, and then he'll be like, and then I had a sexual fantasy. Or because it was like for him it was not important. I don't know if it's that, but I wonder if it's like he's embarrassed. Like, well, and then I had a sexual fantasy. Like, I'm sure there was more going on there, but huh. you're being super vague about that when you were like, yes, I did this and this and this and this and this, and that's how no, I killed that them. that is really weird. And that's, that's very odd. Uh, uh, parked my car over at Woodlawn and 21st Street at a bowling alley there at the time. Before that, I dressed into, I had some other clothes on. I changed clothes. I went to the bowling alley, went in there under the pretense of bowling, called a taxi. Had a taxi take me out to Park City. Had my kit with me. It was... A bowling bag. All right. You had the taxi take you to Park City. What happened then? There I asked. I I pretended that I was a little drunk. I just took I just took some beer and washed it in my washed it around my mouth. And the guy could probably smell alcohol me. I asked told him to let me out so I could get some fresh air. And I walked through where the taxi left let me off over to her house. All right. When you walked over there, what happened next? Well, as before, I was going to have sexual fantasies. So I brought my hit kit, and lo and behold, her car was there. I thought, gee, she's not supposed to be home. So I very carefully snuck into the house, kind of like a cat burglar, and after checking the house, she wasn't there. So about that time, the doors rattled, so I went went back to one of the bedrooms and hid back there in one of the bedrooms. She came in with a male visitor. There were... They they were there for maybe an hour or so. Then he left. I waited till wee hours of the morning. I then proceeded to sneak into her bedroom and flip the lights on real quick like. Or I think the bathroom lights. I just, I didn't want to flip her lights on and then, and she screamed. And I jumped on the bed and strangled her manually. All right. Now, were you wearing any kind of disguise or mask at this time? No, no. You indicate this woman lived down the street from you. Did you? Did she know you? Casually. We'd walk by and wave. She, she liked to work in her yard, as well as I like to work. And it's just a neighborly type thing. 
It wasn't anything personal. I mean, just a neighbor. All right. What did you do then? Oh, I manually strangled her and she started to scream. So you used your hands? Yes, sir. And you strangled her? Uh, did she die? Yes. After that, since I was in the sexual fantasy, I went ahead and stripped her and probably went ahead and I'm not sure if I tied her up at that point in time, but anyway, she was nude and I put her on a blanket, went through her purse, some personal items in the house, figured out how I was going to get her out of there. Eventually moved her to the trunk of the car, took the car over to Christ Lutheran Church. This is with the older church and took some pictures of her. All right. You took some photographs of her. What kind of camera did you use? Polaroid. All right. Did you keep those photographs? Yes, the police probably have them. All right. All right. What happened then? That was it. I went, I took, she went through, I tied, she was already dead. So I took pictures of her in different forms of bondage, and that's probably what got me in trouble is the bondage thing. So anyway, that prob that's probably the, the main thing. But anyway, after that, I moved her back out of the car, and then we went east on 53rd. What happened then? Oh, trying to find a place to hide her. Hide the body. Did you find a place? Yes, yes I did. Where? Couldn't tell you without looking at a map, but it was on 53rd, between Greenwich, maybe, maybe, what's, what's the other one between Green, Greenwich, Greenwich and Rock? Um... And before we continue here, uh, who's Mr. Osborne? Has he been brought up previously? Is that like the prosecutor? Um, I'm trying to remember if that is... It's either a prosecutor or the stenographer. No, it's not the stenographer, because that's David Holt. Um, it's someone in court. Okay, I just wasn't sure if they were important or anything like that. Mm -mm. So Okay, uh, continuing. They don't, they don't say anything important throughout this testimony. Gotcha. So continuing here. All right, you say you hid her body. Did you... Well, there were some there were some trees, some brush, and I laid that over the top of her body. All right. So you removed the body from the car, put her in the ditch, then laid some, some brush over the body. Yes, sir. Yes, again. Oh, no. Oh, that was the end of that. That's why I was okay. confused. Goodbye! It's like, wait, names have changed. Uh, so he left knotted pantyhose by the body. Uh, not exactly sure what they were for. They were used at some point in the crime. Uh, but they were okay. just left by the body. He Was he trying to like, upgrade his signature or something like that? I, I don't know. He had taken Maureen's car back to where his car was parked at the bowling alley, wiped it down to get rid of any fingerprints, and then he takes his car back to scout camp. So then... Smelling like alcohol? Yes. Well, no, he probably changed his clothes. Okay, I just wasn't sure if he had gotten uh, home or clean up. And if he had only swished the alcohol around in his mouth, then I'm sure that that smell had probably gone away by then. Because mm -hmm. it's been several hours. No, that, that's fairly... That's fairly smart. It, I don't, it's very... It's just a weird thing to have In depth, do. but all of a sudden weird. Well, it's also... It wasn't even used, really. Like, mm -hmm. Unless it was the goal... Unless the goal was to allude to the to cab driver. Well, yeah, I right? don't know if he was trying to get an alibi from the cab driver or what, but it seems pointless. Yeah. So, on the 23rd of May, 1985, Maureen's car is discovered. 
sorry, did I say 23rd? Yes. On the 2nd of May, her car is discovered. On, on the 3rd, her purse is found in a ditch by the police. And on the 5th, her body is found. So now we're at 1986, September. Wager has been stalking Vicky uh, Wagerly. And which one is this one? Is this number 9? No, I believe this is... Because we've done the first four. We did five, six, seven, eight. This is eight. Yeah. Uh, So Vicky Weggerly is a 22-year-old mother of two. Uh, When he walked by her house, he could always, or frequently hear piano music, Mm -hmm. uh, because she did play. September 16th, uh, sometime after 10 a.m., he comes to Vicky's door, dressed as a telephone repairman, and Mm -hmm. somehow manages to get her to let him inside. He messes with the phone briefly before informing her that he is going to tie her up. Uh, he forces her into the bedroom where he attempted to tie her up, but she fought like hell, uh, scratched the shit out of him. Uh, he was eventually able to tie her up, and then he strangled her with pantyhose and photographed her. So she, so he changed up his M.O. yet again. Instead of cutting the line, mm-hmm. he disabled the phone on the inside. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and then Raider left in the... In her car. Let me grab that. Did he kill her? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I thought like, he was well, just like... We'll, not... get, we'll get to that. Okay. Yes, again, Vicky was... Uh, Wegerly was another potential vi- potential victim. I went through those different phases. I looked in on her, as I would call it, and decided that I would try that date. I used a ruse as a telephone repairman to get in her house. Drove there in my own personal car about around lunchtime, during lunch hour, or approximately that time. It was earlier in the morning than that, and put my... I actually went somewhere else and changed. Changed my clothes. What I... what I call my hit clothes, and... Oh, sorry. Um, hit clothes? Hit clothes. Basically different, you know, things I need to get rid of later. Not... not the same kind of clothes that I had on. I... I don't know what other better word to use it. Crime clothes or hit clothes. I just call them hit clothes. Anyway, I walked from my car as a telephone repairman. As I walked there, I donned the telephone helmet. I had a briefcase, went to one other address just to kind of size up the house. I walked by it a couple of times, but I wanted to check it a little bit more. As I approached it, I could also he- I could hear a piano sound and went to this other door, knocked on him and told him I was th- that we were recently working on telephone repairs in the area and then went to her went to her, knocked on the door and asked her if I could come check her telephone lines inside. Did she allow you in? Yes, she did. What happened then? I went over and found out where the telephone was, simulated that I was checking the telephone. I had a make-believe instrument. And after she was looking away, I imagine I... that that was like, like some sort of like him acting like he was doing something. Oh, no. uh, Sorry, no, that's okay. I had, uh, I had a make believe instrument. And after she was looking away, I I drew a pistol at her and asked her if she'd go back to the bedroom with me. I told her we went back to the bedroom. I told her I was going to have to tie her up. She was very upset, and I think we I used some material that was in. And that, that's another thing. I'm not sure, but I, I think I used some material that they had in their bedroom. After I tied her hands, she broke that, and we started fighting, and we fought quite a bit back and forth. Finally, got the hand on her, and got a, a nylon sock, and started strangling her. 
What happened then? I I finally gained gained on her and 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 put her down. And I thought she was dead, but apparently she wasn't. But after after she was down and not moving anymore, I I I rearranged her clothes a little bit and took some quick photos. I think three of them, if I remember. And then after that, I there was a lot of commotion. She had mentioned something about her husband coming soon, or coming home. So I got out of there pretty quick. The dogs were raising a lot of cane in the back. The doors, the windows were all open in the house. A lot of noise when we were fighting. So I left pretty quickly after that. Put everything in the briefcase and had her... I had already gone through her purse, got the keys to the car, and used her car for my getaway car. All right. Now, you indicate that you thought that she was dead. Did you discover later that she was not dead? Yes. I guess the paramedics arrived, and they tried to attempt to re-relieve her or revive her, and after that failed, I don't know whether she died there or on the way to the hospital or at the hospital. I don't recollect. But you later found out... She did die as a result of your strangula- uh, strangulation. Yes. So, Bill Wegerly came home just in time to pass his own car going the opposite direction. Wow. He okay. couldn't identify the driver, but he could tell that it wasn't Vicky. So when he got home, he found their two-year-old son unattended in the living room. Um, he had a difficult time finding Vicky, and when he did finally find her, uh, she was barely alive in the bedroom on the floor behind the bed. Uh, so, I mean, obviously he called the paramedics. Uh, Raider drove down the ta- drove around town, dis- disposing of evidence, uh, return- and he returned to park the car a couple of blocks down from the house. And this is super, super sad. So now not only has Bill Wegerly lost his wife and the mother of his children, mm-hmm. but he was the primary suspect in that in the case of Vicky's death for the next 18 years. Damn. Uh-huh. So they thought that he did it the entire time. Mm-hmm. 18 years. That's insane. That's a long fucking time. So now we're moving to... It's sort of like kid's entire childhood. Pretty much, yeah. You know. Because it was Run to two. his doll head. Mm-hmm. So, 1987, three members of the Fager family, the father and two teenage daughters, are found dead. Uh, they arrested a contractor named Bill Butterworth in Florida using a stolen credit card. Uh, they He was acquitted due to a lack of physical evidence, but the police are sure that he did it. Mm-hmm. So in 1988, which is that other letter I was talking about, Mrs. Fager receives a letter from BTK stating that he didn't commit the crime, but he admired the work of the man that did. Uh, this letter was confirmed as a genuine BTK communication. Or no, sorry. It was not confirmed as a genuine BTK communication until a copy was found in Raider's possession 17 years later. So she received this in 1988, and they didn't know that it was actually from BTK until 17 years later. Weird. Uh, So the same year... Oh, sorry. Going back. So not confirmed until 17 years later, 
they had also when so 17 years later when they do find this copy of the letter they also find an illustration of what he thought had happened to one of the girls but it was not accurate to the crime scene so mm. definitely not a murder he these are not murders that he gotcha committed. and he wasn't trying to take credit from them either uh, so this same year, 1987, Raider is, oh, sorry, 1988, uh, Raider is fired from ADT for not meeting work quota, um, but his co-workers reported him as a difficult man to work with, but he was very customer-oriented. So, woo. Interesting. So he was a good employee mm-hmm. in a sense, but he just wasn't meeting the So now goals. we're going from 1988 to 1991. This is the year I was born. January. Also the year of your house. Yes, also the year my house was born. <laughs> In January, Raider is focusing on a new woman, 62-year-old Dolores Davis. Stop it. She lives alone, uh, about a mile and a half away from him, but I don't, there isn't anything that said that they knew each other. Um, they just lived in decently close proximity. I mean, as far as, like, if you're thinking about, like, houses to houses, a mile and a half is pretty far. Well, that's a good chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, January 9th, he is once again on a Cub Scout camp out. He leaves camp and breaks into Dolores's house using, uh, I think he just, like, picks up something and just, like, breaks through a window. Mm. Uh, he uses his wanted criminal story before tying her up and strangling That's her. That's another weird MO, too. Like, you know, he's just, he's making an even bigger mess than he normally mm-hmm. does. But breaking, like, actually in through a window. Mm-hmm. He uh, ties her up strang- and strangles her. He drags her to her own car and drove a short distance where he left the body and some other evidence before uh, changing his clothes and then returning to scout camp. Okay. That particular day, I had some commitments. I left those, went to one place, changed my clothes, went to another place, parked my car, finally made arrangements on my hit kit, my clothes, and then walked to that residence. After spending some time at that residence, it was very cold that night. Had reservations about going in, because I I had cased this place before, and I couldn't really figure out how to get in. And she was in the house. So I finally just selected a... a... concrete block and threw it through the plate glass window on the east and came in. Alright, so you used a concrete block to break to break a window. Mm Mm-hmm. Plate glass window. Patio door. Mm Mm-hmm. Alright. What happened then? Noise. I just went in. She came out of a bedroom and thought that a car had hit her house. And I told her that I was I used a the ruse of being wanted. I was on the run. I needed food, car, warmth, warm up. And then I asked her. I handcuffed her and kind of talked to her, told her that I would like to get some food, get her keys to her car, and kind of rest assured, you know, walked, talked with her a little bit, and calmed her down a little bit. And then eventually I checked. I think she was still handcuffed. I went back and checked out where the car was, simulated getting some food odds and ends in the house, kind of like I was leaving, then went back and removed her handcuffs and, and then tied her up and then, and then eventually strangled her. All right. You say you eventually strangled her? Well, after I tied her up, 
I went through some things in the room there and then and then strangled her. All right. You say you went through. You, were you looking for something? Mm-hmm. Well, some personal items, yes. I took some personal items from there. Did you take personal items in every one of these incidents? I did on the hedge. I don't remember anything in Vicky's place. The Oteros, we got the watch and the radio. I don't think I did any in Bright's. Vian's, no. I don't think so. Fox, yes. I took some things from Fox. It was hit and miss. All right, but in regards... Prob- probably if it, if, it, if it was a controlled situation where I had more time, I took something. But if it, if it was a confusion and other things, I didn't because I was trying to get out of there. All right, so in regard to the Davis matter, you went around the room, took a few personal things. What did you do then? Strangled her. What did you strangle her with? Pantyhose. All right. What happened then? Did she die? Kind of like Mrs. Hedge. I already figured out my, I had a, you know, plan on leaving and put her in a blanket and drug her to the car. Put her in the trunk of the car. So you were able to strangle her to death with these pantyhose? Yes, sir. All right. You put her in your car? In her car. Or in a car? Her car. Her car or trunk? Uh-huh, the trunk of her car. Uh-huh. What happened then? I really had a commitment. I needed to go to. So I moved her to one spot. Took her out of her car. This gets complicated. Then the stuff I had. Clothes, gun, whatever. I took that to another spot in her car. Dumped that off. Okay, then I took her car back to her house. Left that. Let me think now. Then he started making just like a popping sound with those lips. Like, yeah. Just... That's what he did. Okay, in the interim, I took her car back to her house. In the interim, I realized that I had lost one of my guns. I dropped it somewhere. So I was distraught trying to figure out where my gun was. So I went back to the house, or went back in the house, realized I had dropped it when I went in the, when I broke the plate glass window. It dropped. It fell on the floor right there. And I found it right there. So that solved that problem. Anyway, I went back out. All right. Wait, hang on. No, we already did this one. Yep. I went, I went back out through the keys, checked the car real quick, quick like, and threw the keys up on the top of the roof of her house, walked from her car back to my car, took my car, drove it back, and I either dropped more stuff off or I picked her up and put them in my car. And then I drove up northeast of Sedgwick County and dropped her off underneath a bridge. All right. So all of these incidents... These ten counts occurred because you wanted to satisfy a sexual fantasy. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, the following night, he left camp again to return to the dump site and photograph the body. Um, Dolores's body is not found until February 1st. And this was January 19th. Okay, uh, so quite some time. Something weird that he had, had done, and I'll touch on this a little bit later, uh, briefly. It, he, one of the things that he did is he rigged up some sort of a thing to take a Polaroid. He, he took a picture of himself in a grave dug by Dolores's? Or in a hole? I don't think it was the actual... Like a selfie? 
Yeah, it wasn't the same hole because, I mean, obviously she was in that one. Uh-huh. But he took another picture of himself in a hole in that area. It was very weird. Hmm. Um, he was wearing this weird mask. I, I stumbled onto an article that was a conglomeration of many photos that he had taken of himself that I wish I could scrub from my mind. Anyways. So, four months after this, he's hired by Park City as a compliance officer. Several people were said to have moved away from Park City to get away from his mistreatment. There were many complaints against him that resulted in zero disciplinary action. One woman did not have any issues with him until she got divorced and had a new male friend, which everything that I said just saw male friend. I don't know if they were in a relationship, if they were just roommates or whatever. Uh, It just said male friend. So she had a new male friend begin living with her. They shipped him overseas. Male friend. That's... (laughs) It was just someone who worked at the post office. Um... So this male friend moves in. Now Raider has a problem with her. He issued citations to her, such as having grass longer than six inches, having the wrong colored garden hose. Um, the he... wrong colored garden hose. Uh huh. That's a thing. A pe- I I don't understand. How is that a city problem? <laughs> I don't. I. Eh. It's it's just like an example of the stupid petty things that he was doing. Um. He began looking in her windows, and he was discovered examining a door on her house that had somehow been broken. I'm assuming that that phrasing means that it was fine before he showed up. Right. Uh, He, I don't know, this phrase bothers me, but I can understand why. It says he impounded her daughter's dog, which impound feels like something you do to an object. Mm-hmm. But so he impounded her daughter's dog and euthanized it before anyone could come and claim it. What the fuck? So he killed her dog for no reason. Wow, animal cruelty. We just yeah, full, it's cool. How do we always come full circle on our yep. subjects? Yep. So that's cool. Uh, this I think this woman, then she immediately moved. Oh God, I just punched the mic. That's fine. We didn't need it. She immediately moved out of Park City. Don't blame I her. I don't blame her at all. Uh, An employee that worked under him from 1988 until 2005 stated that he was a terrible boss. He was cold and degrading. Uh, She recounted one instance where she was alone with him and he chased her around the office and she was terrified. Uh, At that point, I feel like I probably would have quit my job. Punch him in the throat first. I mean, I want to say I would have quit my job. Who knows what I actually would have done in that situation. Right. But... uh, uh, so, or sue the city. Yeah. Where's that? Um, this is another situation where formal complaints did fuck all. Because they were, formal complaints were lodged. They didn't do anything. Uh, so then everything goes quiet for about 13 years. People assume that BTK is either dead, he's been imprisoned for other charges, or institutionalized in some other manner. Maybe he's moved. They right. People think that he's, you know, BTK is done. Uh, the case kind of, it fades from people's minds. There's like a whole, not a whole new generation, but there's been many people that have grown up without the constant fear of BTK in Wichita. Until January. Not January. Why did I say that? 
Oh, I see why I said that. Anyways, until 2004. So at the time, I was 13. How old were you in 2004? Uh, let's see. I would have been... 11. Okay. 11 or 12, depending on, I think, the... Yeah, somewhere around there. So, January. The Wichita Eagle publishes a story on the 30th anniversary of the Otero murders. Uh, Wichita lawyer... Robert Beatty is concerned that the case will be forgotten. So he announces along with, so part, I think part of this article is that he announces that eh, maybe it's not that article. Um, Cause there's also a thing that's called like online crime library that I think in 2003, they post another like article mm-hmm. about BTK. Um, and then Robert Beatty announces that he is planning on publishing a book about the BTK killer. Mm-hmm. This gets Raider's attention because he is now concerned that someone else is going to be telling his story. And he just can't have that. So he stews over this for, uh, you know, a good two months. March 17th, uh, 2004, he mails an envelope to the Wichita Eagle from Bill Thomas Kilman, BTK. It contains three photocopies of his own photos that he took of Vicki Wagerly, taken in 1986, as well of a, as a copy of her missing driver's license. And it is signed with the BTK symbol that he used in the 70s. This was forwarded to the FBI, who confirmed its authenticity as actually coming from the BTK, because it, like, writing and everything matched the previous letter that they, letters that they had received. Right. May 5th, he sends another letter to Cake Studios, and that's the TV studio, uh, with a a lengthy word puzzle consisting of columns of letters and a few numbers. Uh, The FBI once again confirms that this is authentic, it matches, but nobody has any fucking clue what it means. And this is another one of those things that feels like it's inspired by Zodiac. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of the puzzle. Uh-huh. And the ciphers and all of that bullshit. So on June 9th, he leaves a package taped to a stop sign in downtown Wichita. And it contains a collection of disturbing documents, such as a letter that details the Otero murders. Um, there's a sketch of a nude-bound female hanging from a rope labeled the sexual thrill is my bill Um, yep as well as a chapter list entitled the btk story which mimicked david lore's original article on the online crime library from 2003 Hmm. so now we jump to july 17th a package marked btk was found in a book return at the Wichita Public Library downtown with a note that read, I have spotted a female that I think lives alone and or is a spotted latchkey kid. Just got the word, nope, just got to work out the details. I'm much older, not feeble, now and have to conditions myself carefully. Also, my thinking process is not as sharp as it uses to be. I think fall or winter would be just about right for the hit. Got to do it this year or next. 
time is running out for me. The package also contained a claim that BTK lured a young man to his death using a series of internet chats. Um, this particular young man had died on some railroad tracks. This was found to be false. Um, this young man had not had any internet chats previous to this, and it was a suicide, and it was confirmed as a suicide even after this. Mm. So that he was trying to claim something that he didn't do. Which is, no, that's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, the police were refusing to release details of the packages from June on, fearing that it would provoke BTK into a killing spree. Because mm-hmm. we don't want that. No, thank you. All right. Uh, da, da, da. October 22nd, a UPS worker finds a strange manila envelope in the UPS box at the Omni Center. It contains an assortment of cards with images pasted on them, a collage of photos of children with bindings drawn on them, and what BTK, what BTK, BTK claimed was an autobiography that was just a conglomerate of false information about him uh, designed to mislead the police. The FBI advised Wichita police to keep the killer communicating, um, just whatever they can to keep him talking, and, and to use a sole spokesperson to get him to feel like, oh, like this person and I are communicating. Like, we're right. we're on a level with each other. We're, we're buds. Right. Um, and just to keep him communicating until he fucks up. So police take about 1,300 DNA samples from different people trying to find the match for these samples that they've collected at these crime scenes because now we're in a time where we can test these. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to find a match to these semen samples. Nothing. December 14th, a package is found by a man in a park. Uh, he takes it home out of curiosity and opens it. He finds a doll or sorry a pj doll uh it is uh, the the package itself is wrapped in white plastic he takes it home opens it inside is a pj doll with a plastic bag tied over the doll's head and its hands and feet so its hands are tied behind its back and its feet are bound and tied to the feet was nancy fox's actual driver's license which was missing from the scene which is not something the police had released so that's something that only the killer would know. Uh-huh. And have. Mm-hmm. 2005. January 8th, BTK leaves a Special K cereal box marked BTK and Bomb in the bed of a pickup truck parked at Home Depot. This pickup truck belonged to an employee. He drives home, finds this in the bed of his pickup truck, and I don't know if you've ever had friends with pickup trucks, but... Everyone that I've ever known with one says that, for some reason, people think that the bed of a pickup truck pickup truck, is a great place for trash. And they yeah. just throw bullshit in there. Mm-hmm. So That's why I like the things that have like the covers. Mm-hmm. So he finds this in the bed of his truck and is like, cool, trash, and throws it away. Uh, however, he forgets to set out his trash cans for collection. Convenient. Mm-hmm. So then on January 25th, after the police, there's a a postcard is received from BTK uh, that has a clue about the package. The police show up to Home Depot and they're like, 
hey, have you found anything weird? And the employee is like, oh shit, yes I have. But since his trash cans weren't collected, he's able to go home and pull it out of the trash. So they get the package. He's got the package. (laughs) Apparently, unaware, even though he worked at ADT for so fucking long, he... BTK, Dennis Rader, does not seem to understand that video surveillance is a thing in parking lots. Yeah, especially now in the 90s. This is 2005. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, yeah, definitely a thing then. Yeah. So, even though, like, I mean, it's far away, the video is grainy and blurry and terrible. And this is kind of amazing. They can't see... Zoom in. Enhance. They can't... I mean, almost. They can't... They can't see who the person is. They can barely make out the car. But they are able to measure the car's wheelbase. In order to get a making model? And figure out that it is a Jeep Cherokee. Which, how fucking cool is that? That is so fucking clever. From a grainy-ass video, they figure out what kind of car it is. Jeez. They figure out it is a Jeep Cherokee. The box was found to contain some, uh, to, I left out, oh, there it is. The box was found to contain information about some of his, uh, PJs or other projects, uh, or intended victims, as well as more misleading information about himself. So he's just sending them things. He's like, oh yes, this is all the stuff about me. And none of it is true. No, he's trying to, it sounds like he's not trying to inflate himself while keeping ownership over the things that he actually did. Uh, I wouldn't say inflate himself as opposed to just throw people off the trail. Okay. He made up this whole life story that was not true. So it's like it, it wouldn't lead back to him. And mm-hmm. he tells them like, oh, he lives in a third story, like a three story house that has an elevator with a bomb in it. So he like, he's, right. he's trying to, you know, misdirect. Okay. Which... Because I wasn't sure if he was trying to help himself get back in the news and, like, major news and become... I mean, yes and no. Like, I definitely think that he wanted these things to end up in the news. But... I don't know, it's weird because it seems like he's he's definitely trying to misdirect the police from him. Which is odd because it I don't get the feeling that he thinks that he'll actually be caught. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like why is he trying? Yeah, why is he trying to misdirect if he doesn't think they're going to catch him? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he also asked if, and this is kind of weird, he asked if writings on a computer disk were traceable, and he requested a response in the classified ads section, or like the, the classified ads under the miscellaneous section of the Wichita Eagle. Um, using the code name Rex. So January 25th, as a result of a tip from another drop, and drop is just like him sending a letter or a package or whatever, uh, so that the the drop that gives the tip is drop number nine. Um, it leads to a box of post toasties, which is another cereal. So the tip came from a postcard that was sent to Cake with a return address of S. Killett. Skillet? 
S. Killet. And the address of the Otero house. So it states that the location of the Toasties and mentions the special K box. So this is the tip that leads the police to go back to, to go to Home Depot and be like, is there anything weird here? Which was when the employee was like, mm-hmm. yes, now that you mention it, I did find this weird box. Wow. So then they find this box of post Toasties leaning against a street sign outside the Wichita city limits. It contains a doll with a rope around its neck, and the other end of the rope is attached to a plumbing fixture. Just like Josie, who was hanged from plumbing, from piping. Uh, and something else that bothers me, he obviously thinks he's real fucking funny. Because he's sending them cereal boxes. Because he's a cereal killer. Right. And it's... Fuck you. <sighs> well, he didn't have any humor, so I mean, that's maybe as close as he could get. Well, I read an article. I, th- I think it was an article where his daughter was talking about it, where she's specifically talking about this section where he's communicating with the, the police about how he thought that he was so funny. Oh, I sent them a cereal box because I'm a cereal killer. And that's just like, that's the worst kind of dad joke. Yeah. Like, he, you can tell that he thinks that he is so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And it's... Mm. So, February 3rd, another postcard is sent to Cake, saying that he received the newspaper tip. Uh, the newspaper ad that ran read, Rex, it will be okay. So, the police were like, hmm, he wants to know if we can, can we trace anything from a computer? And they were like, no, of course we cannot, sir. Definitely can't trace anything from a computer. Ever. Yup. So, February 16th, a package arrives at, and this is weird. I think my favorite part is like, did he believe them? Oh, he... So a package arrives, and this is super weird because it, it doesn't arrive at the Cake Studios. It arrives at KSAS, which I think is like a Fox affiliate. Uh, not important. It arrives at KSAS Studios. Which is a totally different, you know, TV studio than he's been sending things to for the past fucking years. Containing a letter, a piece of jewelry, and a purple floppy disk. Which that is the most early 2000s thing. Jesus Christ. I remember keeping... 1.8 megabytes on that. I remember, like, needing a floppy disk to go between, like, home and school for work. Or for, like, homework and stuff. Yep. Still have my floppy. D- this- do you even have, a, like, a disc right? A disc no. Reader? Exactly. This is the floppy that I had to use for college because my college kept reallocating our funds. I'm more happy to talk about this. They kept moving our grant money from the, from the music department to fund science and mathematics. We had computer... We had... Pianos from the seventies that required floppy disks to put to use to put in our songs. What the fuck? I couldn't even use a CD player. So fuck you guys for Flo- taking away our money multiple times. Floppy disks. Yeah. I mean, normally I'm like, yes, fund the sciences, but you went to a private school. Not only that, that everything's supposed I, to be funded. Last time I was told, and I could have been told incorrectly, that was grant money. Oh Christ! So as far as I know, they use those funds incorrectly. And, yeah. 
Well, Jesus. Yeah. Love my school, but I hate what they fucking did with the finances. <laughs> All right, so package with a purple floppy disk. Yeah. Uh, and it is labeled test floppy for WPD review, which WPD is Wichita Police Department. So detectives obviously immediately start analyzing this disk. Right. And they discover software registered to the Christ Lutheran Church. And you know how, like, when you do a Word document or something, like, it has you... I don't remember if this happens, because it's been a long time since I've used, like, a legitimate, like, Microsoft Word under my name, because that shit's fucking expensive. Mm. Where, like, when you start it up, it asks you for, like, who's the creator of this document? Right? No way. Yeah. No way. He so, was that fucking dumb, was he? So. Oh my god. They find a document, and it's, it only says, it just references the name Dennis as the creator. So. But now you have a church. They do a quick internet search for Christ Lutheran Church, and they see that Dennis Rader is the president of, of this church. So detectives quietly drive by his house, and what do they see in his driveway? A black Jeep Cherokee. So they begin surveillance. That's fucking stupid. They begin surveillance. I can't talk. I can't believe this right now. They begin surveillance, and they subpoena... I don't know how I feel about this section, because it's like, cool, but also weird. They subpoena DNA collected from a pap smear that his daughter had when she was in college. Well, because her DNA would be roughly... And they do a familial match. But it's weird to think about someone, like, subpoenaing my pap smear for something else without me knowing. Like, like to get your Mm -hmm. dad's DNA. Yeah. Which... That's weird. It's... And that's my thing, is that it's weird to think about that happening without me knowing... But if I did know about it, I don't think I would say no. Because it's the same with, like, the Golden State Killer, where they found that through one of those databases where people send in yeah, stuff like, for uh, ancestry. Yeah, 23andMe. Yeah. Which, I don't know, if I'm going to help catch a serial killer, I don't necessarily know that I care that much if they're related to me, if it's they're like doing weird... these fucking awful things. Right. It's kind of like that weird ground where it's like, I feel like you have too much information on me kind of thing. But at, yeah. this, at the same time, though, you're required like to do like fingerprinting mm-hmm. and stuff and you go like go get jobs and mm-hmm. all that nonsense and do drug tests and which and that's that's a thing like. OK, you can have my DNA for this, but it's almost like if I was in that situation, I, feel I don't like I don't know if I would want them to ask me or not. Because do you want them to be like, hey, so we think your dad might be a serial killer. You want to give us some DNA? Right. Was the person notified that their DNA was subpoenaed? No. They didn't find out probably until the court case? Uh, Like, hours after he was arrested, they asked her to voluntarily give a DNA sample, which she did. That, see, that sounds weird, though. Like... That almost sounds shady, in a way because it's like you already have the DNA. I, Why see, are you I asking for confirmation? A, that feels like they just wanted to confirm what they already had. Right. 
Versus and it's like, just, it sounds strong to be like, yes, this this person who is confirmed the daughter of this man we have arrested has voluntarily given the sample. The devil's advocate of me, though, is like thinking like that that would have been thrown out because it was without consent. And so they wanted to get one with consent. So well, it thrown out. I that's don't know, like, the weird thing about medical records mm-hmm. because they subpoenaed it. Right. And it wasn't like. Well, so it's like medical records are supposed to be private. Like, I. I, I well, there's, like, things in HIPAA where, like, you know, authorities, if they have a good reason with the subpoena, because a subpoena isn't just like, hey, we want to see this. Can we see it? It has to have very specific things in it. We need mm-hmm. to see this because of X, Y, Z. So, I mean, if they were able to meet the requirements for HIPAA to see these medical okay. records, then that means that they had a good reason at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's weird to think about people being able to see my records without my permission. But at the same time, it's also weird to think about, like, anytime I go to a doctor and I'm like, yes, this is my primary care doctor, I will sign this release of information for you to see my records with that doctor. Mm-hmm. They're going to see all of my records with that other doctor. But it's weird to think about, you know, how much they're going to see. Right. I don't know, it's... It's a whole weird thing there. Mm-hmm. So they drive past his house. They see this car, take this DNA, or they subpoena this DNA sample. They confirm this familial match between Raider's daughter and the semen that is left at all of these crime scenes. Because what the fuck? Who just, you're just leaving DNA everywhere. Everywhere. So one day after leaving his office... He's going to eat lunch at home, which is his normal routine. He, as he's driving home, he realizes that he is surrounded by police cars. So he stops. He surrenders quietly. Uh, They lead him to a police car. He's handcuffed. He gets into the car and he just says, hello, Mr. Lawweeder, which is the man who was the... Did I not... I swear to God, I... You know what? I think I skipped right over that. Where they're talking about the... Right. So, the FBI had told the... Or they had advised, as this is not their jurisdiction... Jurisdiction. Yes. Gotcha. Jurisdiction. They advised the Wichita Police Department to keep him talking, use a single spokesperson. Yeah, you mentioned that. That person was lead detective... Lieutenant Ken Landwehr. So BTK gets into this car, or Dennis Rader gets into this car, and all he says is, hello, Mr. Landwehr. And he says, hello, Mr. Rader. And I wasn't able to find anything anything else about anything that was said when they got into that car, or when he got into that car. Mm -hmm. So he's taken to the station. He's put in an interrogation room. He's not really talking. He's kind of playing dumb, trying to deflect, avoid the subject. Mm-hmm. They finally confront him with the floppy disk, like the traced floppy disk and the DNA. And he starts to talk. He talks for 30 hours. He gives a 30 hour confession. All at once? Yes. And he. Yeah, 30 hours is hard to work, let alone uh-huh. to talk the entire he time. He talks about every. Everything he has ever done in regards to the BTK crimes. Wow. So he starts talking and he doesn't stop. Um, 
he's astonished to find that the police had lied to him about tracing a floppy disk because, you know, he thought that they were buds. Um, which kind of, it goes back to this thing about needing to, you know, he wants to feel like he's in the in crowd with the police. Mm-hmm. You know, that position of authority. Well, like, they're supposed to be honorable and lawful. And you might have seen that as being cheated mm-hmm. or as being uh, well, shady. He was, he was, and that was part of the thing when it's, he was working at ADT. It's like he, you know, he wanted to be in the ranks of the police and in the, on that level. And he felt like being a, you know, a security system installer or a salesman or, you know, whatever the positions he held there, because he hadn't held many, was, you know, below that. Mm. So, you know, he thought they were buds. So then the next interviews are with lawyers. And at this point, he shuts up and he becomes tight-lipped pretty much until he goes to court. Uh, and when he when he does go to court, he pleads guilty. Um, I didn't print off that section of the thing because it's all just, you know, right. court jargon. Do you this? Do you that? Um, do you realize that this means this? Um, but he does plead guilty to all ten counts. Uh, so... They're, they go through his home. He's got a tree house in his yard, which I believe he had like a chest or something that he kept a lot of thing, a lot of evidence, I guess, in where like you know a lot of photographs, all that kind of thing. Interesting. Um. But, so what they refer to as the mother load, they find in his filing cabinet, at work, at city hall, in his office. Because he works for Park City. They found all the evidence, like... They found a significant amount of evidence in his filing cabinet at work. His office is in City Hall. That's so insane. Mm-hmm. They find like, original right. copies of the BTK letters, photographs, victims' actual driver's license, newspaper clippings, uh, artwork air quotes there. Yeah. Um, as well as 55 files of people that he has been stalking for projects. Christ. Uh-huh. And this is where it's so crazy that his family was completely unaware. Because he was able to just flip that switch and just live two completely separate lives. And by, you know, by all accounts of everyone that saw him, he was just, you know, a normal guy, you know, working, involved in the church, raising his kids, doing Cub Mm -hmm. Scouts. Nobody had any idea that this is the kind of guy he was. Right. In court, he gave a 45-page testimony, even though he had pled guilty. So that was the stuff that we just read. We obviously didn't read all 45 pages of it because I picked the the parts that explained his crimes. But 45 pages, and he he just, like, we went through it. You heard how he talks about it. Mm -hmm. Just very matter-of-fact. Like, yes, and then this is what I did. And then we watched a movie, and it was Tuesday, and I knit some sweaters. Like, it's just everyday bullshit. Mm -hmm. On July 26th, his wife was granted an immediate divorce. She didn't have to go through 
because I think it said that there was like normally a 60 day waiting period or something that you had to go through to do all of this. She was granted an immediate divorce. And then I believe that she and the kid, or she, I didn't, at this point, I no believe point where... his, their children were grown. Mm-hmm. But she, I believe that she left the state. And I think his children had already left the state as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, after. <laughs> An immediate divorce. Yeah. It was just like, yep, you're divorced. And I think it was on, on the grounds that their marriage was detrimental to her mental health. Which, absolutely. I don't even know what I would do if I found out that I was married to a serial killer for the past God knows how many years. John does have really good dad With, jokes. I, and his credit's really good. Oh my god. Oh no. John's gonna listen to this in like five months and be like, hey. Hey. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm about to do a show where I play someone that's married or murdered five husbands. Practicing murder. <laughs> um, him and I have already had a talk about how I'd rather be a widow than a divorcee. <laughs> that's fair. Which is both funny because, yes, but also Fallout Boy lyrics. Which one? Wouldn't you rather be a widow than a divorcee? I don't think I recall that one. I mean, Fall Out Boy is my life, so it's fine. <laughs> Their concert when they came last October was fucking amazing. I cried the whole thing. I bet. It was so good. It was so good. They had one moment where they like had platforms that came down from the ceiling, and they got on them, and then they went up, and then they did several songs on the ceiling. <laughs> The ceiling. That's the ceiling. And That's Pete had this bass guitar where the neck shot fire. Cool, it's fucking sick. Hit a flamethrower. It was legit. Anyways, back to things that are not legit. After testimony is completed, the victims have time where, or the victims' families, victims, they have a time where they can come forward and they can, you know, air their grievances. Um, say anything that they would like to say. After that, the uh, defendant is allowed to speak. And Raider rambled for 20 minutes in what was like a semi-apology, but was really more about himself and was kind of just like, it was almost offensive in the way that he was like, oh, this person liked this and I liked this, where he was trying to like make himself and the victims the same. Yeah. And be like, yeah, we had this in common. It's like, no, no, you but the killed them. That in common. Yeah, almost like trying to be like friends. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I knew them though. He was sentenced to the maximum, which was permitted by law, which was 175 years to life in prison. It's a lot of years. Um, something that is interesting is that I think it was 19. Shit. 1970-something, the uh, death penalty is removed by some federal case. In 1972, Kansas reinstates it. Mm -hmm. But since all of his crimes happened before... Did I say 1972? I meant 1992. Yeah. Since all of his crimes happened before in 1992, 1992. when it was reinstated, he was not eligible for the death penalty. Wow. Which, I mean, I don't want to get into that, because that's a whole thing about whether people agree with it or not. Yeah. Um, That definitely, I think, would be a good conversation for us to have. But it's 
he avoided it because I want to say it was 1972. On a technicality. Where, yeah, where the death penalty was removed and then it came back up in 92. I feel like there were a lot of twos. I don't remember. Anyways, he was not eligible for it. Because they happened before 1992. So he's sentenced to 175 years in prison or life in prison. Uh, he is not eligible for parole. That's good. Until well, 2180. That's going to be a while. So I think we're good there. I think we'll be fine. Uh, he was also, it was also discovered that he was obsessed with self-bondage. So a lot of the photographs that they found were photos of him. And he would take photos of himself in bondage situations where he would be tied up wearing women's clothing. And usually wearing some sort of a mask. And these are the pictures I would like to forever remove from my brain. I will probably never be able to remove these from my brain. Huh. They were the creepiest fucking things. And I don't, I don't know if this was whoever wrote this article. And I, I stumbled on it looking for something else. I think I was looking for one of his letters. Or, no, I was looking for stuff about his treehouse. So I'm guessing that these pictures were probably found in his treehouse. Mm-hmm. The picture that it first pulled up, he was wearing some sort of a weird clown mask. Oh, okay. And it was like the weirdest version of Pogo the Clown. Oh. And I was no. not no. about it. No, no, no. No, no. Yeah, I was no. super not okay with it. No, not a fan. And there was another picture that I'd found in a separate article. There was a really great site that had done a, a very comprehensive biography of Dennis Rader. And I, I, God, if I had compiled a list of sources I had used for this, it'd be fucking a mile long. Uh, but it had a picture of him laying in a hole, like in the hole, mm-hmm. but the one that he had, had done that was by yes. where he had buried, I believe it was uh, Marine. Marine, yeah. Wearing a weird mask and it's some sort of a weird bondage situation in this hole. And that, I would, I would like to bleach that picture from my brain as well. Instead, I drink wine. That's kind of it. Uh-huh. It helps. Yeah. And so, it, as I mentioned earlier, if you watch Mindhunter, the ADT guy that they show at the end of some episodes, that is Dennis Rader. That is BTK. That's what they're getting at there. And this... This last thing that I'll leave you with is slightly ridiculous and less horrible. So he worked for Park City for many years. Mm-hmm. Park City terminated his employment after he was arrested. Right. Why do you think that happened, though? Why do you think he was terminated? After he was arrested. Uh... Could it possibly be because he was arrested for the murder of ten people? I mean, I had a feeling that wasn't necessarily for that. It was more being, uh, I don't know, arrested for. It wasn't for the complaints, was it? Was he it was. Complaints? He was terminated because he failed to call in for not showing up to work. Are you fucking serious? Yes. What? He s- didn't show up to work and he didn't call in, so his employment was terminated. Not, you know, because he killed ten fucking people. Well, you know, at least they give everyone a chance. I just... 
Whether you're a serial killer or you're an average Joe. Which, I mean, okay, I get don't it. Don't forget like, to call into work. I work for the city. There's weird things where they, like, automatically lay people off. Or they, you know, automatically terminate people for X, Y, Z. So I don't know if it was like, oh, it's been four days and he hasn't called in and hasn't showed up. I guess we just terminate him. But I feel like maybe you could look into that mm-hmm. and be like, oh, oh, no, we're firing this guy because he's a fuck. Yeah. Like, shit. This case was weird because I very, very vividly remember seeing coverage when I was, you know, 14 when he was arrested. Uh And after that, when he was going through trial. And he did plead guilty. And his, the explanation that he gave was very bizarre. Because when you, when you give your plea... They make you, well, maybe it was even just this judge, but he asked him, he was like, are you, are you giving a guilty plea because you are guilty or for some other reason? And he gives this weird answer about, he's like, well, based on how many, you know, charges there are, it's really just mathematical that I should plead guilty. Oh, like, since there's so much evidence, like, so many accusations against me, it's yeah. just cave. So it was, like, a weird way of saying, like, oh, well, yeah, I totally did it, but also, no, I didn't do it. It just seems like the smart choice to make, except you totally did it. Yeah. It, it was really weird. That was very weird. And this guy is a real terrible person. He's a garbage. And I am excited to not have to Think explore about him, him any anymore. further for a while, yeah. Yep. You've done it. Which... It's a really fascinating case because there's so much weird shit happening here. And it's, I mean, again, like I can do a whole episode on going into the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the like square rectangle thing. Like all psych, all right. sociopaths are psychopaths, but not all psychopaths well, are sociopaths. sociopaths. Or maybe it was the other way around. I don't remember. I'd have I think to... it's the other way because yeah, uh, I, I think, think it's sociopaths all psychopath... have psychopathic tendency. Well, well it's, it's like... So there's sociopaths, and then it's almost like the escalated degree of that is a psychopath. Yes. And with it being described as him having no sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, it's Well, because I know, really... like, with, with sociopaths, they have, uh, from what I was reading and watching, and this was even back when I was talking about uh, Jake Paul. Uh-huh. Right? Sociopaths, the problem is they have... They have trouble empathizing and picking up on social cues with individuals mm-hmm. in terms of like like understanding why they feel that way and they feel like impersonal. Like narcissists, I can narcissists can still feel bad for you mm-hmm. even if they're going out of their way to like to do something that really fucks you over. They can feel bad for you. A sociopath would be like, "Tough shit." You know, I don't. I could care less. Well, then that's something that and I. A psychopath is uh, on that you know that uh-huh. different degree. Well, that was something that I. A read where it was talking about how psychopaths, or no, sorry, sociopaths are able to blend into society better than psychopaths. Mm-hmm. So sociopaths, I mean, like Ted Bundy, uh-huh. he was able to blend in with normal people, right? People that are not sociopaths or psychopaths. Uh-huh. Whereas and there are sociopaths. Not all sociopaths are horrible people. You mm-hmm. know, it's just just a mental disorder that just like like correct. Uh, Depression, anxiety, anything like that. And it's not necessarily going to lead you to do horrible things. Mm-hmm. When I worked, I had a, a very weird case when I worked doing substance use stuff. This was 
this guy really shouldn't have been in treatment. He didn't have substance issues. This guy was a documented sociopath. Mm. He had, I think he had abused a child. Uh, when he did this, he drank a beer. So they're like, well, now you need to go to substance use treatment. Oh, because there was a substance He involved. did not need to be at substance use treatment. He needed to be somewhere, some other treatment. He needed treatment. Mm-hmm. He didn't need it from us. I had to do his, like, intake paperwork. So we go through all this whole list of questions, blah, blah, blah. As, it was a very weird appointment. He gave very strange answers. It, and it, I could, I could tell. Mm-hmm. I could tell that he was a sociopath. And then seeing it on his paperwork, like, oh, this is documented, you know, diagnosis. I was like, oh. Hey, I recognize that. And so I had this moment of like, yeah, psychology major. And then also this moment of like, I was in a room with him. Ha! Ah! Yeah. He is documented violent crimes. Cool. Great. And it's, it's a weird thing. Because I feel like if you have Ted Bundy, who was able to integrate into society, and then you have Dennis Rader, who everybody... It's like, oh, he's just like, you know, he blends into the background, but he has no sense of humor and he's not very nice if you, you know, because that -hmm. person described him as a boss as not being great. Yeah. And people described him as being difficult to work with. It's, 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 yeah, Mm. it's a super interesting case. I don't necessarily recommend diving into it for a week straight. Yeah, probably not. I think you've done enough for the vast for for our audience. I don't think our audience is saying. Yeah, you guys don't need to go any further. It's don't, fine. You don't need to subjugate yourself to that unless um, you really feel adamant about it. And his like his the pictures of him in court, and his mugshot pictures and everything. How they they give me a weird feeling because he's just very. It's not necessarily. I mean, he's giving the like straight like mugshot face, uh-huh. but that's like the only face he makes. So it's, like, devoid of any kind of... Yeah. Okay. And I rewatched some of the videos of him giving his, like, testimony. And I say rewatched because I remember when they were on TV, when they were happening. Mm-hmm. And it's... He's just so flat. It's so bizarre. It's so strange. So, yeah. Ew. That's what I'm talking about. Gross. Well, I'm glad we had wine. I'm glad too. <laughs> All right. Well, shall let's we roll do... for next episode? Yeah, let's do that thing. Okay, I've said this like four times now. That's okay. I have my Violet Vortex dice by Chessex, which are gorgeous, and they are purple, much like the floppy disk which brought D- BTK to his uh his end. Cause fuck him. Mm. I have rolled a six. And that is. Uh, entertainment? No. That's Hold it. on. That is entertainment. Yeah, because seven kind of events. I was really hoping it was science. Aww. Okay. I think, I think science technology is five. It's five. You're correct. And force history and education. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. Entertainment. And then I can't read, so I look at pictures. Oh, history. There we go. History and entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week to find out what the fuck we're talking about. Bye. Bye. If you've got something to say, find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash WTF pod. 
Email us at wtf.podcast.mail at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WTFAYTA Podcast. That's WTFAYTA, our acronym, Podcast. Our music was by Decker Hinckley, and our artwork was by Kirby Morfitt.